Right, hello folks, welcome to You Dude and a Monkey episode 11. Uh, my name is Ian Loring, I am steering the ship on this week's show, and as always, joined by... Mark Foster. Yes, indeed, Lee. Uh, now, first of all, I'd just like to say uh, thanks to Mark for uh, agreeing to edit this week's show. I'm supposed to be doing it this week, but uh, due to uh, uh, Skype, Windows 8, Call Graph, Snafu, which I'm going to have to get walk- worked out, I'm unable to, so thank you, Mark. Um, also, lovely, good stuff. And uh, also, uh, thanks very much for pa- your patience as well, folks, on the new episode. Uh, I know an episode only came out last week, but in kind of real time, it's been... Um, it's been a couple of weeks since we recorded, so um, yeah. Uh, now, thankfully, the space issues that we've been having uh, shouldn't be as much of a problem these days because we've worked out to actually just encode at a lower uh, bit per second, which is the file size slower, and pretty sure the quality of the episode, the sound doesn't really dip too much or anything like that. If people do have problems with the sound, please do let us know, though. Uh, at Dude and a Monkey, at Ian Loring, at DudeFoz, and DudeAndAMonkey at gmail.com for all your feedback. And this week we are going to start off with uh, part two of our um, Are They Too Old For This Shit trilogy of reviews, uh, as we focus on Sylvester Stallone's uh, Bullet To The Head, directed by uh, our man Walter Hill. Uh, we'll also get into some One Old, One New. Uh, then a discussion topic, and then the final part of our Richard Linklater marathon, taking a look at the Zac Efron star, starring filmed on the Isle of Man, Treat Me and Orson Welles. Uh, Mark, do you have anything to say before we uh, get right into it? Or uh, Not just iTunes reviews are always appreciated, as is any feedback you have on the show. Um, also, if you want to um, get in suggestions for marathons, it's good if we have kind of like a backup list of stuff to go to, so that when we finish doing one marathon, we don't turn out with each other and go, fuck, who are we doing? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good point, because we haven't really had the discussion about what we're going to do next, have we? So, no. um... We're not the kind of podcast that plans. <laughs> no, we're, we're terrible. We'll, we'll decide the lead review, and that's about it. Yeah, then the rest that we kind of decide on the day we'll record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't know. We'll um, we'll 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 figure something out. Anyway, uh, let's get into it then. So uh, the lead review for episode eleven will be Walter Hill's Bullet to the Head. Here's some stuff from that, and then we'll dive straight in. I got some rules. No women, no children. Dad, you gave me your word. You're getting out of that business. That ain't gonna happen. You know what I am? I'm a people person. Four of our operatives got killed by this guy last night. I'll find him. like I have something you want. Dad? Ah! Taylor Kwan, WDCPD. I want the guy who took your daughter. What are you gonna do, bring out some kung fu from the homeland? I was born in Florida. When I get this guy, it's gonna be bad. So what are we gonna do? I wanna get her back, then they die. You two are insane! You're dealing with an ex-mercenary, he's gonna punch your ticket, and I am gonna watch! 
don't just kill a guy like that. I just did. I know, I've heard the speech. We should have taken him in. You and me, now we're the one to finish business to take care of. What are we, Vikings? Bang. Down. Boom. It's history. When I'm done with this drink, I'm going to be done with you. Okay, so Bullet to the Head is directed by Walter Hill and stars uh, Sylvester Stallone, uh, Jason Momoa and Sung Kang and is the story of Jimmy Bobo, uh, the hilariously named hitman played by Sylvester Stallone, who teams up with Sung Kang's uh, a, a cop who may as well just be called Anomalous Jim to uh, try and track down uh, a conspiracy uh, and a killer who killed the cop's partner and Stallone's partner. Uh, so let's get into it. Walter Hill is back on the big screen for the first time in over a decade. And Mark, what did you think of Bullet to the Head? Um, I was sat in a cinema. The previous week I'd been sat in the same cinema watching an Arnold Schwarzenegger action film. I was now sat in the cinema watching a Sylvester Stallone action film directed by Walter Hill. It was like being in 1987 all over again. Um, it was... It, it, right, let's, get, let, let's, let, let's be honest. It's not a perfect film. It's not even a great film. What it is, is it's a very good film that is very enjoyable. Um, Stallone, I thought, was playing to the role fantastically. Um, Sun Kang seemed to be like he was out of a different film, which, let's face it, when you've got these buddy movies in the 80s, they often did feel like they were in two different films. So you had that. Jason Momoa uh, was brilliant as just being an evil bastard. He didn't want money or anything like that. He just wanted to be a bit of a dick. And, of course, you got Christian Slater back on the big screen. So when you stack up Walter Hill... Sylvester Stallone and Christian Slater, you've got to do something horrifically shit to make me not like it. Um, so I'll be honest, I, I fucking loved it. Um, like I say, it's the thing about action films nowadays is sort of once the um, the CG explosion happened in the mid nineties uh, and then the late nineties, we kind of we lost the action film for a while, and then now we've got the action film back uh, because it kind of had a bit of a renaissance with films like the Bond films and stuff like that. But the thing is, is what everyone now expects is for us to get these eight and nine out of ten action films, for them to have all these other things going on and for them to be bigger and grander than they usually are. And in the 80s, what we got is we got a spate of seven out of ten action films. Films that were never made to be anything but seven out of ten. Uh, and we got fucking loads of them. There was like, twi- there was like you know, nowadays we'll get maybe seven, eight of these this year. Maybe you'd get twenty of them a year, and maybe five of them would be decent. Um, and I think that's what bullet in the head was. It, 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 bullet to the head. It's a really decent action film that I enjoyed, and I didn't have to take it seriously. I could turn my brain off for an hour and a half, and it was wonderful. What did you think? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty much uh, exactly there with you, I think. I mean, I it sounds... I mean, like, I, I gave it 7 out of 10 on Letterboxd, and it sounds like that's what you get, gave it as well, but it sounds like you, like, uh, you liked it a bit more than me, even though I think you are slightly more inclined to... Yeah. Uh, so, with these films, so that, that's absolutely fair enough. But, saying that... Um, you know, it, it's been getting a lot of shit. It's been getting a lot of people just saying, oh, it's tired and Stallone just being Stallone, blah, 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 blah. But, and, and, I mean, I, I agree. People do seem to be expecting more. But, th- I mean, the fact is, Bullets of the Head is, is very lean. I mean, if it was like five minutes more, I wouldn't like it nearly as much. But it's like a, around 90 minutes, it, yeah, and, and it's good for that. Stallone is, is very, very good value. And... I was also surprised that um, this film's had quite a production history. I don't know whether you know anything about this, but basically... Yeah, it was, it was uh, Wayne Kramer um, of... Uh, oh, fuck, what did he do? Did he write Cooler, Running Cooler? Yeah. Cooler's a marvellous film, but Running Scared as well with um, Paul Wombaugh Walker, Walker. Yeah. Um, which was actually a really good film. Uh, I, I've, not, I've not seen Running Scared, but I've heard good things about oh, it. Right, yeah. so I, was, I, was, I was amazed. Um, Dan uh, suggested it to me. Um, uh, Mondo. Yeah, so it's a, yeah. Look, it, it, it has no right to be any good, but it is really fucking good, and it is mm. really good. I think it's on Netflix US, I think. Nice. Um, but yeah, and I, that one, um, Thomas Jane originally attached to it, or something like that. Yeah, Thomas basically, Wayne Crane left the project, then Tom Jane uh, apparently suggested Walter Hill, then Walter Hill came on board, and then I think Joel Silver got on board, and then Joel Silver said we need to open this up to a wider audience. Thomas Jane, fuck off. We're going to get somebody of like who could appeal to a different demographic. So they got the Fast and the Furious films is Sun Kang. And in all fairness, he does seem like he's in a completely different film. I thought Sun Kang was kind of shit because he... He's just a bit whiny. He doesn't have a lot to do, does he? He's just no, he, he very much is a guy who looks for stuff on his phone. But you keep expecting him at some point to kick ass and he, he doesn't really. He just gets given a lot of shit by Stallone. Which I thought was great because Stallone just he always seemed to be on the cusp of bursting out laughing at what yeah. he was saying. Like he knew everything he was doing and everything he was saying was ridiculous. Like, any time he was sort of turn to Walter Hill and go, really? I, I, really? And Walter Hill was just going, yeah, fuck it, it'll, really, it'll piss people off, just say it. Yeah, and yeah, it, like, yeah. Like, the whole time, the, at no point do I think that Walter Hill or Stallone thought they were making anything other than this movie. I don't think that they thought this movie was something bigger than it is. I think after, when they were watching The Rushes the other day, they're going, Oh, this is so crap! It's brilliant. I th- I, th- I genuinely believe that, they, that that this film turned out exactly the way they expected it. Yeah, yeah, I I I think that's absolutely a, fair a enough. Rumor, a rumor that I did read apparently was um, that Thomas Jane, the reason why he this this could be a rumor. It was on a, it was on a forum site, so you know it could just be someone's come up with an idea and decided to write it down. Sure. Um, but the rumour that, that I read was that um, Joel Silver told Thomas Jane, right, I want to do this. And Thomas Jane's like, well, I'm kind of attached to it. And he said, well, hang on a minute. We're looking at getting the rights to the Punisher. So 
maybe if we did do that, Walter Hill and you could team up and go make a Punisher movie. So how about we keep your fee that you've received for this so far, keep you on board, and then you can go and do that once we get that. So apparently that was a deal sweetener. Hmm, really? Yes, because he's desperate to return to Punisher any Thomas Jane. He even made a short film about it last year. Hmm. I'd, yeah, I I mean that's that's interesting because uh, you haven't really heard Thomas Jane actually talk about it. And th- the thing is, if it was Thomas Jane and Sylvester Stallone, I don't I don't know whether it would have actually been any better. I don't think like, it, I don't think it would. I don't think it. I think it would have made it. It would have been the same film, but with less kind of tongue in cheek. That's yeah, which is what I I think this film needs. This this film does have a knowing sense to it. I mean, you don't cast Christian Slater as a drugged-up, skirt-chasing, sleazy lawyer and not know exactly what you're doing. Mm, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. um, The... And, you know, we are all spoilers, but this isn't going to spoil anything because it's basically in the fucking trailer. Um, the bit where Stallone, is, where Stallone is interrogating Slater and he's tied to a chair and Christian Slater has his little mini kind of monologue bit. Uh, there must be directors out there who... I mean, this, this Christian Slater, this is the first film he's released that's been in a cinema in, like, six, seven years. That's... That's a bit of trivia. I'm going to go on to IMDb. Carry on, I'm just going to look think, that up. With the exception, I, I'd look at it, with the exception of where he's actually appeared, it is the voice in the film Igor, but I reckon it is seven years, maybe eight years since he was last on screen in an actual theatrical, properly released film. But, yeah, so there's a, there's a bit where he's talking at the screen, and I'm watching thinking... Why isn't he in more? You know, apparently he's not difficult to work with. Um, he does, yes, he doesn't have the pull that he had in the early 90s. But he's actually, he's a really good actor. But better than that, he's a hell of a talker. If you want somebody who's going to talk at the screen for, you know, let's say he's on screen for 10 minutes and 7 minutes of that, he's essentially talking at the screen. You've got very few that are better and more charismatic than Christian Slater. He is just, He's so goddamn watchable, and he has this kind of, this great sort of chocolatey thick rhythm to his voice, uh, where he can just talk and talk, and that's essentially what he did for the very for the start of his career. When you look at films like Heather's and Pump Up the Volume, all he did was talk. Mm. But yeah, I, I it was wonderful seeing him back on screen, and I just. I really, really do hope at some point we get a Christian Slater sort of renaissance where he comes back. I'd love to, I know everyone always says it, but I'd love to see sort of him get involved in a Tarantino or something like that. I, I hopefully could... shoot him back out there. Because can you imagine Christian Slater doing a five minute or a ten minute or a twenty minute Tarantino scripted scene? Oh, it'd be Nirvana. Well, I mean, again, anyway, I mean, obviously we have seen him do that. No, of course, yeah, in, in um, True Romance, yeah, and, he, but, you know, he was magnificent. But, yeah, but, I mean, it's like, he does feel like, even though Tarantino's kind of stepped away from that kind of having a project in kind of re-establishing a star kind of thing, 
um, he, he somewhat stepped away from that. But I, I yeah, I, I, I'd agree. I mean, it's the, the thing is, I think he is now firmly a character actor. He's not a leading man. No, but I think he could be a very, very strong part of an ensemble. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah, he definitely, you know, he, he could be. Yeah, definitely. Um, where he's not. He's not expected to be on screen all the time, but he he, he certainly has a, a part to play, which pretty much similar to what he does here. You know, well, here we go. Well, he'll be back on the big screen this year. He's in Nymphomaniac. Yes, he is. Yeah, which I I saw and thought that that really could work. Who's? Oh God, damn! Tell me he's Shia LaBeouf. Oh no, he's Charlotte Gainsbourg's dad. Yeah. What? Yeah, I'm assuming that's in some sort of um, flashback or something. I hope it's not. <laughs> Would you be wow. surprised if it's not? A self-diagnosed nymphomaniac recounts her erotic experiences to the man who saved her after a beating. I don't know, it sounds like it's going to be Christian Slater getting sweaty over Charlotte Gainsbourg. Oh, yes. Uh, and I, I will just say as well, just uh, in case... Uh, people are screaming, when was the last time Christian Slater was in a big screen film? Uh, he was, he was in, uh, he was a quiet man, which I think got a very, very small theatrical That's a very limited release. The, the last one I can work out that got an actual proper cinema release was 2005's Alone in the Dark. Alone in the Dark, yeah, totally. Which, which uh, also, we, oh, Alone in the Dark. Right. This is the 2.3 on IMDb, which, as we said before, IMDb ratings mean nothing. But what I will say is this film contains Tara Reid playing an archaeologist. That's fucking hilarious. It, yeah. it is, it, it's an Uwe Ball film as well. Uh, I've seen it. It is. It, it's special. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, uh, but, I mean, uh, going back to... Um, uh, after I'm yeah, I, I go about spilling it in the head. I mean, I also think it. I, I think Walter Hill brings a fair bit here as well. It doesn't quite feel like just a jobber kind of thing because the like the locations and if the, like the score feels very very Walter Hill or oh, kind yeah. of bluesy harmonica. Yeah, this this it's um, Steve Azara. Um, he's obviously when he's been given the gig, um, he's gone right. I'm making a Walter Hill film. And he's gone back and just listened to a shitload of Rai Kuda and then gone, right, how does this sound? And Walt Hill's gone, sounds like Rai Kuda. And he's gone, oh, right, it's brilliant. I fucking love it. Because yeah. you know, when it first started, and it started out, I thought, because it starts out with the office scene and you get, like you say, that heavy kind of, that bluesy fucking dirty city blues kind of sound. And I yeah. thought, straight away, I thought, ooh, I didn't think Raikuda was doing the soundtrack for this. And then I was, I, I was actually sat waiting for the um, music by on the what is it? Yeah. Who the fuck's doing this? And it came up and thought, ah, oh, never heard of him. Yeah. But, <laughs> but good on him because he's he, he's fucking he's he, he knows what film he's, he's making. He's not just gone. Right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. He's he knows he's making a, a Walter Hill film. And I, I, yeah, absolutely. And I also like that it kind of brings in uh, Walter Hill's um, ideas of um, you know very overtly telling a story. 
you know, like like the the Warriors, especially with the uh, director's cut of the Warriors, and and like Streets of Fire when it says at the start, this is a rock and roll fable. The fact that you've got uh, uh, Stallone kind of recounting this, and yes, the dialogue is is quite cheesy, even though it was a delight seeing all of those different um, mug shots of uh, like <laughs> of just Stallone through the years. That was fucking brilliant. Yeah, it was. I, 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 I like that. This is like telling a story boilerplate onto a generic action film. I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think I've said it before, you know, Wally Hill has this thing where, in his mind, every film he makes is a Western. Uh, and that's that's what they all are. They're all kind of Western-based, essentially, when you strip them all down. And you could sort of argue that of this, but I think what a lot of people seem to be missing is, yes, the dialogue The dialogue is, is quite heavy sometimes, and it is quite clunky, but it, it is based on a graphic novel, and it, it, Hill does like to, if he bases stuff on graphic novels or on books or anything like that, he does like to lift dialogue direct from those properties and slap it straight in. So it wouldn't surprise me if some of the dialogue, especially like the the, the voiceovers, were literally just lifted off and gone, thump, there you go, have that. Yeah. Um, and you can kind of sometimes, I think with graphic novel-based adaptations, you can forgive a little bit of a clunk. Um, yeah, no, no, totally. It, it, and the thing is, I mean, the nature of the story is kind of like, yes, all right, this is going to be clunky anyway. You know, it's it's not amazing storytelling. No, there is the fucking slightest. No, there, there is so little to it. <laughs> I mean, it is the bare bones of storytelling. It's this guy's a bastard and he's trying to get this land. This guy works for him, but he's going to overthrow it sometime and then they're going to have a fight and then it's over. That's yeah. it. But I mean, like, but I mean, at least you had nice little affectations. Like, I felt, I like the fact that Mr. Racco from Lost, like, was just standing around on crutches throughout the entire thing. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I mean, I really, like, Jason Momoa, I thought was perfectly all right in this. Um, he's a big, lunking, honourable hitman guy and he kills people very easily and that's what he is and that axe fight with Stallone at the end was pretty solid it was I mean it, it seemed to me like like he, he hit a point his character hit a point where he went I, I don't like helping this guy so I'm going to kill him um, and then I'm going to fight with that big guy and that's it it wasn't right I'm going to kill him I'm going to get the money and I'm going to go and I'm going to do this it was I'm going to kill him because I want to have a fight with him, and that was it. He seemed to kill uh, what's his name just so he could go and have an axe fight with Stallone, which was wonderful. And I think what was great about that the axe fight with Stallone was is Stallone wasn't going to win it, and he kind of knew that he wasn't going to win it. So he yeah. was just trying to not get killed, and they didn't try and they didn't do the oh, he gets beaten and then he, he rises back up and destroys... They didn't do that. It was He got his ass kicked a little bit. But when Stallone gets smashed into stuff, you know, it's Stallone getting smashed into stuff. And he's 66 years old. I mean, Christ, just to put this into perspective, on either side of my family, no man has ever gone beyond 65 on either side of my family. Fucking hell, really? Yep. And Stallone was having an axe fight with Jason Momoa at 66 years old. I mean, that that fucking blows my mind. 
And let's be honest, Stallone looks better than either of us will ever look in our lives. And he's he, he does look really good. He does. He looks fucking ripped to hell. And he's 60 fucking six years old. I mean, Christ. Um, and do you know what? The thing people keep focusing on saying, oh, this did terrible. It, 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 films like this don't do great at the cinema. If they make half their budget at the cinema, the studios will go, do you know what? That's not too bad. Because this will make a shit ton on home video. They always do. Films like this make a fucking bucket load on home cinema. The A-Team people said, oh, it was a bomb. But it made fucking a ridiculous amount on home video. Well, I mean, they're, they're talking about, um, like, Dread, like, the kind of, the the, the, yeah. the Kindle of the, the sequel idea has kind of been fired up again because of how well it's done on home video. Mm. Yeah. Movies like this, and a couple of weeks of The Last Stand, that will... They will do really well on home video because the sort of people who will buy Bullet in the Head, Bullets in the Head, are people like my dad will buy it, my father-in-law will buy it, but neither of them will go and see it at the cinema. But they will buy it when it comes out on on DVD or Blu-ray. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely, absolutely, and I mean, I, it will get reappraised because of it. And I mean, like with the, you know, the the, the constant growing of, of Netflix as well. It's it is the kind of film that will get discovered on Netflix. You know, it'll be on Netflix US in like the next year, I'd imagine. Oh yeah, and, this is on Netflix US by, I would say, October. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it really wouldn't be surprised me if it's by Christmas, you know, mm-hmm. at, at, at least, you know, but October's, yeah, fair play. Um, and, and, I mean, it's the kind of thing that people will just, like, stick on on a Friday night and then thoroughly enjoy it. You know, it, it just, like, I mean, I, I didn't like it as much as The Last Stand, I'll say that. Um, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't either, no. The, the Last Stand had... A, a, I don't know, I, I had more fun with The Last Stand, frankly, but... As a solid nuts and bolts actioner, I thought Bullet in the Head was perfectly fine. It is a straight up 7 out of 10. I would recommend it. Would I rush out and buy it? Probably not. But I'd certainly say check it out. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, also as well, uh, if we, we'll do it. I'll probably say it's probably a good time to wrap up on it, actually, because there's not that much you can say. Um, Sarah Shai, um and his daughter is unbelievably hot in this yeah. like ridiculously hot um but yeah it, it, it was it, it's a solid like I say it's a solid 7 out of 10 I I will be buying it on the day it's released but then again even if it was a 2 out of 10 I'd still buy on the day it's released because it's a Walter Hill Sylvester Stallone film you know it, it was like they made a movie for me so yeah so my uh, my assessment would be uh, Bullets Ahead is definitely not shit yeah, definitely not shit. Absolutely. Um, and the third part of the are the of the are they too old for this shit trilogy of reviews will conclude next week with uh, Bruce Willis in the reviews are embargoed, but I've seen one online and apparently it's ninety seven minutes and shit. But we'll see a good day to die hard. Yeah. So which I will say, um, I am one of the few men on the planet who it was kind of when. That was released on Valentine's Day. Um, and so me and Beth got the baby, something like that. And I said, right, where are we off then for something to eat? And she's like, no, die hard. Like, I don't want to go out for, out for something to eat or something like that. No, die hard. All right, we're going to see die hard then. So I, 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 it, it, 
It's not. I'm happy to go and see Die Hard, but it's not my choice to go and see Die Hard on Valentine's Day. It is Becky's. I hope on Valentine's Day night the two of you conceive another child and then call it John McLean Foster. <laughs> uh, I, I really hope we don't conceive another child. <laughs> but if we do, we will call it John McLean Foster. Sweet. There you go. You heard it here first, folks. Um, okay, so uh, moving on. <laughs> I just love that. I really hope we don't have another child. What does that say about poor little Lizzie? Bloody hell. <laughs> oh, she's lovely. I just don't want a fucking mother. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, then. Uh, moving on. And uh, let's get into one old, one new. And, uh, oh, no. Actually, let's hear some promos. Here's some Why promos not? from folks we like. <laughs> It was a childhood corrupted by endless hours of VHS rentals. We're sick to manage it. You'd love it. In his most formative years, he had seen it all. I could handle anything. Action. Karate is not to be used aggressively. But if I have no other choice. Horror. <laughs> and romance. Now, he's decided it's time to go back for just one more adventure. Humans are such an easy prey. Noel Miller presents... You're the problem, you little shit! The Adventures in VHS Podcast. Join me, Noel Miller, as each month I take an in-depth look at one movie from my collection of ex-rental 80s VHS classics and speak to one or two of the people involved with making them about what the format means to them. The Adventures in VHS Podcast. Thank you. Have a nice day. Download today from iTunes by searching for Adventures in VHS or visit adventuresinvhs.com. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. Just really, it's isn't. not visually striking. No, just just getting confirmation. It's just dealing. That's the third time, though. I mean, am I, is this on? You can find us at chinstrokerversuspunter.podomatic.com. So come and share the victory. If you could f- any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. You, he wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody you can keep, keep a secret. hastily remembered we need to have some promos and it's time for one old one new and mark what do you want to cover first sir well i've got quite a few new um so but um i'm gonna cover i'm gonna cover my old first we just spoke about a new film so i'll cover my old first and i'm sticking with the action um films and i'm sticking with a film that received Kind of mixed reviews, but that's because everybody's a fucking idiot. Uh, it's a film called The Losers, um, which I'm, I'm sure I've spoken to people before about because I absolutely fucking adore this movie. Uh, but I'm quite light on uh, old watches this week, and this is 
pretty much the only old watch I watched, so I'm pretty much forced to talk about it, which is no no kind of hard shakes for me. Uh, it was released at the same time, uh, well, the same year we got the A-Team and the first Expendables movie, and we got this. So it was like the three big kind of action films of 2010 were these three movies. Um, none of them got very good reviews, um, and this one made probably the least money. Um, but in my view, uh, and I fucking, I like, love the Expendables, and I adore the A-Team, but in my view, I think this was the best of the three. Um, directed by Sylvian White, uh, and stars Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Idris Abella, and Chris Evans, uh, about a team of, mer- well, a team of, um, kind of like a crack team of soldiers, who, um, special forces guys, who are basically burned by Jason Patrick Max, who is a arms dealer who works in cahoots with the American government or something like that. Never properly explained really how kind of deep his connections go. Uh, but they're sort of framed for a, a murder where a lot of kids get murdered and then they have to kind of come back with the help of Zoe Saldana. Uh, it's, and it's Sorry, it's a pretty great way of setting up a bad guy when the bad guy is responsible for killing a fuckload of kids. Yes, I mean, it, it, for a film that was, I think it's, is it a 15 or is it a 12? I reckon, I seem to remember it being a 12, but let me just look that up. I think it's a 12A, which for, you know, for a 12A to after sort of five, ten minutes to blow up a helicopter full of children is pretty fucking, is pretty grim. But this is one of those films where it's, the story is quite basic, um, the budget is quite modest, this film was made for 25 million, which... When you compare it to films, you know, like the A Team um, and the Expendables, and the Expendables was about, I think it was about sixty million, so a little of a double. And the A-team, oh, it is a twelve A, by the way. Sorry, is it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the A Team was one hundred and ten million, um, so like four times the amount. It, it in terms of actual look, they don't look that different. Uh, the losers looks fucking gorgeous. Um, Sylvan White, again, like we said about Walt Hill a minute ago, he, he's very much, he knows what he's doing with it. He knows, he, he essentially, it wouldn't surprise me if he had, in front of him, if he had the script, a storyboard, and a copy of the loser's graphic novel, and was just kind of going, uh, right, I'm going to use that bit there. I'm not going to use the storyboard for this, because someone's already fucking drawn it for me. Uh, and you say, don't use that line, use this line out of the comic book. Go on. And just doing that, because that's what it feels like. It feels like a comic book brought to life. Um, you've got Chris Evans, who, let's be honest, is great in anything. You know, he is just oozes a charisma, and he has it in abundance in this. In this, he's used kind of as the comic relief, really, as the guy who throws out these stupid lines. Um, there's a wonderful scene where he has to infiltrate um, a, a, a building full of kind of special service guys to retrieve something off a computer um, and you get Journey playing over the top of it as he's running around trying to get out and it stops and you've got a, a wonderful little five minute sort of action scene but that is absolutely kind of that kind of funny where you don't laugh as much as you kind of laugh as you're cl- sort of laugh and clap at the same time 
just the sheer ridiculousness of it all. But it it, it works. Uh, you've got Jeffrey Dean Morgan just being an absolute cool as fuck motherfucker like he always is, mm-hmm. and Idris Abella being. I've got. Uh, I'm sorry, mate. I've got to pull you up on that. Idris Elba. Elba. What? What? Lucky corner. Idris Abella. Do I? Yeah. I, I didn't notice I was doing it. Uh, I, I, I like the first time you said it, I just thought it was just like, I thought you, you just fluffed it up, but uh, yeah, yeah, you keep saying Abella, sorry, that's I, funny. I, I, think, I think I do keep on just fluffing it up. Um, Idris Elba, sorry about that. Um, yeah, um, he, he just plays the, the, the good kind of stoic, doesn't really seem to like the situation he's in, so he kind of, he works in it. The only thing that doesn't really, I, I had a problem with it, don't, don't really think works, it was um, Zoe Saldana, who just seemed to, I don't think she could kick Jeffrey Dean Morgan's ass like she does in the film. Um, but yeah, I, I adore The Losers. I think it's one of those films where if you've watched it, you'll probably love it. And if you've not watched it, watch it because you'll probably love it. Fair play. What do you think of it? Uh, I'm not as in love with it as I know many other people are. I know uh, Mike and Paul on Shin Stroker versus Panzer are um, very, very big on it. In fact... Uh, I actually, the last time I guested on Chinstroker vs. Planet, so it was nearly three years ago now, was um, uh, when they did a Losers and A-Team episode. It was like the Summer of Action Cinema kind yes, of episode that we did. That, yeah. um, and I know they really, really liked it. I, I liked it well enough, even though I did watch it. It was like after a, a Saturday night shift at the cinema, and it was like one o'clock in the morning, and I stuck it on. So I was quite tired anyway. Um, but I enjoyed it well enough, but I, I do need to see it again, I think. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you could pick up the Blu-ray of this for like a five at most places. And it's definitely, I mean, I've, I've got the Blu-ray and I've watched it three or four times. It's one of those films that I can just stick on when I can't be asked to decide what I want to watch. And you've got Jason Patrick playing a, a fucking wonderful bad guy in it. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's a, he's a good shit-eating grin bad guy. Him and Patrick Wilson were very much two peas in a pod in that way. Patrick Wilson being the bad guy in the A team. Yeah. Um, yeah, very very similar, but still different enough. Yeah, I mean as well. There's a great. I mean actually actually Link uh, Holt McClarney, um, who was in the start of Bullets to the Head, um, is is in this as uh, his as Jason Patrick's henchman. The great scene where I seem to get a a twelve man firing squad, um, and yeah, Holt McClarney, um it kind of says, "Well, maybe it'd be best to deal with it in this way." And Jason Patrick isn't even looking at me; he's walking through the way. He goes, "Stop! Do you know what I think you should do?" And he goes, "What? I think you should get me a twelve man firing squad." And he walks a few steps. He goes, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Change my mind. Go and get me a twelve man firing squad." And he says it about five or six times. And you could just see in the background, Hot Crowley just kind of looking, going, you're a complete fucking arsehole, but I know I can't tell you because you will have me killed. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, that, that is, the, yeah, that's very Patrick Wilson in, in, in the A-team as well. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying, like, the losers is, is derivative of it. It's just, it, it's like that. It's like, I mean, in that way, it's like the raid in Dread, you know. It's got, it, like, superficially similar elements, but they are different. Yeah. Right, what is your first one old or one new? Uh, I'll I'll also go for my one old actually. Sod it, why not? Um, so I'm going to actually. Uh, which one should I do? Actually, no, I'm going to talk about Avatar 
on 35mm heroes because I like I know Jordan and uh, Brad's on the show this week and I know they both really like Avatar. That'll be interesting. I will say on a third watch, I think I finally made peace with Avatar, oh. but I'm still not a massive fan of it. Oh, I, you, 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 you've succumbed. I've, I've only gone up a half star. I've only gone from a 5 out of 10 to a 6 out of 10. From day one, I have been 5 out of 10. I am very much known as someone who hates Avatar. I've never hated Avatar, but I do hate what it represents. Can I say say what I think then? I fucking hate Avatar. I'm sorry. I don't care what people say. Yes, at points it looks good. It doesn't look great. It's too much fucking colour to... It, they put the thrown too much colour at it to try and make you forget that you lose colour with 3D. So when you watch it not in 3D, you're going, Jesus fucking hell! And uh, it is it, it also as well the story is clunky. If people say the story's terrible. Don't people get say it wrong. That, that the story or the script for something like Bullet to the Head is clunky, and then say they like Avatar, then fucking hell! It I is, think it's fucking brutal. I, I would give it, and a 3 out of 5 is a mild recommend, but I'm comfortable giving Avatar a mild recommend just because of the spectacle of the thing. But, but, it is insane that that film got nominated, like, was very close to winning Best Pictures, uh, Picture at the Oscars. It That is insane. And because yeah, it's... when you you boil it down if you take away the spectacle of it it's fucking shit (laughs) yeah there's there's nothing there but the sheer spectacle of it the thing is what might have helped as well I did watch it in 3D ah well there you go so but the the thing is I watched it in 3D the first I've seen Avatar three times now the the first time I watched it I watched it in 3D I was crushingly disappointed but I still gave it a 5 out of 10 basically because of the spectacle second time round I stayed at a 5 out of 10 this time round it it might have been because I was drinking as well it it generally washed over me and I was just okay and I think it's probably because the hype has died down and there's not so much around it and yeah I mean mean, let's let's move on from Avatar because I'm going to get into it on Heroes (laughs) what I am going to talk about though is Friday night. I just randomly, uh, Donald went to bed and I just like, I was just like, I fancy watching a film. And I randomly stuck on Chasing Amy. Oh. Um, oh, yes. Uh, it, it, cause it's on US Netflix and I have not, I, I watched Chasing Amy a lot, like while I was in secondary school. Uh, like during my two years of sick form and my year out, I probably watched Chasing Amy like seven or eight times. Uh, I, I was a big fan of it, but then obviously Kevin Smith completely went up his own ass and back around again. Um, so I've been just generally put off Kevin Smith. I watched Clerks maybe last year, maybe the year before, and I still very much like that. Uh, I tried watching More Rats. I got about 20 minutes in and I turned it off. Yeah, um, I adore More Rats. Yeah, I, it might have just been because I wasn't in the mood or something. And I have watched Dogma uh, in the last couple of years as well. And I'm okay with Dogma. And the fact is, I'm okay with most of Kevin Smith's films. In fact, I'm better than okay with most of them. And personally, I think Chase Amy is probably his best film because I think it manages to perfectly get the ratio right 
of his self-indulgent view universe stuff with an actual story. Um, the amount of links there are to the viewers universe are insane, both in, you know, like the, the covers of Blunt Man and Chronic and also in passing references to other characters, mm. you know, I mean, some are more overt than others, you know, like, um, they, uh, uh, Alyssa and, um, Holden have uh, a conversation fairly early on about being from the same area and, um, the girl who fucked the guy in the convenience store being her best friend yeah. and, and, and her being committed, stuff like that, you know. Uh, there's also reference to, uh, the girl who died, um, swimming laps. Oh, from, Julie something. Yeah, from, yeah, from all yeah. that. And also as well, a lot of locations, um, are recognizable from other, viewers universe ones yeah so uh totally absolutely um even though it does kind of it, it, it's a little bit weird that more rats is like on the cover of blood man chronic and jane silent bob when they turn up like like are, are really annoyed with the fact that they say shit like snoochy boochies even yeah. though he, they they actually say it in more rats that's kind of weird like it's almost going into parallel universes in this universe that's fake in the first place mm. um i mean kevin smith has addressed this in one of his um his standard oh, really? things that he does uh, where he mentioned about someone asking the question uh, about something like that uh, i don't think it was directly related to that but it's something like that and he said that the, the point is he said uh, that jay is based on jason mutes you know they yeah. they are supposed to be like the same person and he said that they've had combat people he sat around in bars where people have said to jason, to jason do, you, do you do you actually listen to yourself sometimes and he's kind of said what do you mean he said well you've just said this and he's gone i didn't say that and he'd say stuff and he'd repeatedly say stuff but then when you'd sort of like say to him what what does this even mean he'd sort of say i have no idea what you're talking about i've never said that before in my life and you everyone will be there going you just say like seven times in an hour and he yeah. genuinely wouldn't know, either either because he was too baked to know what he was saying, or he just doesn't fucking know. That's interesting. Okay, well, um, that uh, yeah, all right, fair enough. It's just like the fact that oh, I don't know the fact that you uh, you have to bring in stuff like from Kevin Smith's real life. I don't know. It's a little, it's all a little bit incestuous, and it does it, it is a tad grating for me. But anyway, um. But going back to Chasing Amy, I mean, I, I do have complaints about it. The opening title music is <laughs> fucking, what the fuck was that? It, it's like they ran out of money and they just paid a guy a tenner to come up with something in a half hour. I mean, it's it's brutal. It's, it's brutal. Um, and also, I think the film looks kind of shit as well. Um, I mean, it's it's... It, I mean, I, okay. I mean, Kevin Smith's uh, DOP, David Klein. I know he, he kind of, well, the usual DOP kind of stayed, like was with him from the off and whatnot. But and I mean, Kevin Smith's not a massively visual director, but it's like the lighting is odd and kind of like low level. I mean, it's it's a very very dark film uh, a lot of the time. I mean, like, I mean, obviously it's low budget, but it just it doesn't. It, it, I mean, it looks to me, it looks cheap, even though it probably because it was cheap. But I, it, it, it's not particularly cinematic. However, um, I, 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 I also, actually no. Also, I will say the the climactic as such, uh, the kind of set piece dialogue between, between uh, Joey Lauren Adams, Jason Lee, and Ben Affleck towards the end. 
Yeah. It, 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 I, I have to wonder how Ben Affleck's character ever thought that was a good idea. Um, I don't think he gets away with it too well in the film, frankly. No, it, that is a little bit... It, it, that I'll agree on that. I mean, I'm, I'm a very big Kevin Smith apologist, but I'll agree that that was... It is clunky. Yeah. However, um, I mean, I think the film does a very, very good job of actually making it feel believable that this lesbian would actually kind of turn. I mean, like, the, the film, like, if you just heard about it from, from the outset, just like the plot synopsis, you would say, well, isn't that the, obvi- uh, the, the, the male fantasy, a man basically fucking a lesbian into turning heterosexual? Mm. But it, 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 I think in the dialogue it deals with it quite well, and I think that Joey Lauren Adams is very good in believably playing that transition of, like, she just wanted to find someone that she could connect with, whether it's a man or a woman. You know, mm. and, and she finds that person in Holden. And they're di- like the amount of time they spend as friends before they actually turn into lovers, I I think manages to get away with that. Yeah, it, it, it certainly does. I mean, you've got... There are some kind of great scenes in it between um, Affleck and, um, and Joey, Lauren, Joey Lauren Adams um, where she's kind of having the turmoil of kind of... You know, the actual bit where he tells her that he loves her and she kind of fucking flips out at it. That's a very well done and it's a very well handled sort of scene yeah. by Smith. You know, he doesn't he doesn't kind of go to his comfort place of throwing in a you know, an offensive kind of quip in the middle of it. Yeah. He, he keeps it very dramatic for that and he, he he holds it very well and he sits quite far away from it and just goes, Right, I'm just gonna film this from afar and let these two just just, just do it because 'cause I'm a little bit nervous. And he does seem at points during this film, like Smith is a little bit like, I'm a little. I think this is the film where he's most out of his comfort zone. At points, you know, on a whole, I don't think he is, but there are little scenes where he just, he has to be a little bit too serious for Kevin Smith at the time. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's a film where he he actually has to rely on his on his writing. I yeah, I mean I agree. But I mean as well as that, I mean he gets to kind of indulge in his usual things as well. I mean like the. Um, Hooper um, flipping out uh, Jason Lee at the comic convention at the st- towards the start. I mean, oh, what's a Nubian thing is fucking amazing. Yeah, it's so funny. And I mean, Dwight Yule, who plays Hooper X, is fantastic as well. The way the way he's able to s- switch between the, the the stage personality and his real personality is like in that one scene where um, they're in the record store <laughs> and then that kid uh like comes to it and he's just like you see that man over there he's the devil the vault, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, it, it's it's fantastic it's it's really really funny uh but the emotional stuff works really well as well and i i mean i think holden is probably smith's most empathetic and well-written lead i mean you you've got the in his first three films in particular, you've got the straight guy and the crazy guy. And by far, Holden is the best straight guy. Like, um, Dante in Clerks is a bit too whiny. And, like, I mean, like, the fact that his mantra is, I'm not even supposed to be here today, is is the worst. And then you've got uh, T.S. in Morass, um, who is okay, but Jeremy or Jason London, whichever one it is, is not the best actor in the world. He's not able to really... I don't think he's able to pull it off, frankly. No. But then you've got Affleck, who is 
it's Affleck before he became Ben Affleck in Speech Marks, you know, the whole kind of Benefer thing. It, yeah. it was while he still was cool and charming. Yeah. Sorry? While he was a, while he was a character actor. Yeah, know, he, yeah, he, yeah. He played characters. Um, Smith's always written better sidekicks. You know, the best character in the Clerks film is Randall. Yeah, uh, so by, by a distance. Yeah, the best character in Morats um, is... Brody. Brody, uh, without question. You know, he's always written better sidekicks. Yeah, yeah. No. Ah, sorry, I just had my microphone muted. I was asking Donna to turn the oven on. Sorry. Um, yeah, no, I, that, that, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's the thing. Whereas, I mean, I think Banky is great. You know, I mean, he, he's he's really, really well written, and his his chemistry. I mean, the chemistry between Jason, uh, Jason Lee and Ben Affleck in this is fantastic. Um, but, I mean, like, Holden is the character you get behind by a distance, you know. Um, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I suppose that's it, really, on, on Chasing Amy. I just, it's, it, it holds up really, really well. I mean, it's now 16 years old, and um, it's still a real treat to watch. And, I mean, it's it's quite long as well. It's about an hour and 50 minutes, but it, um, it, it kind of steams through that. Yeah, I mean, for a Smith film, that's 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 quite long. You know, he he, he doesn't make he makes sort of hundred minute films. Mm, mm. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, it, 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 yeah, I mean, he does it well. And I mean, the the emotional arc that Affleck's character um, go uh, goes through, I think, is is well handled. Like the, his concerns are well played it's just what he thinks is the idea of getting over those concerns towards the end everybody's listening to this will have seen chasing amy but um just in case like what 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 his idea is it just i would just be like dude you're you're an idiot you know i understand your concerns but just let it ride you know do you i mean like the fact do you not have the confidence like in terms of the sheer masculinity thing that it comes down to I mean, like, if you want to be base about it, you, you know, you, you manage to get a lesbian. That's <laughs> surely that is is ego massaging enough that you don't have to worry about the other stuff. Yeah. The, 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 uh, again, uh, going back to it, it is Smith's best written film without question. He deals with the the turmoil that that all uh, going through of the fact that. He can't quite deal with with the fact that she was more sexually active in her past. He has trouble with that. Yeah. Oh, abs- a- abs- yeah. Absolutely. Um, it, it just. I. I. I don't know. If I was in his position, I would genuinely just be like, "All right, I'm going to work on my sexual technique. I'm not going to worry about it. You know, it's it just like I'm going to make sure I." fulfill her needs and, yeah. and you know but I, i'm not going to worry about the other stuff because i managed to pull a lesbian as donna <laughs> walks in and wonders what i'm talking about um he's talking about his stag night donna i'm not talking about my stag you fucking... anyway okay so uh it's now time for mark's one new what you got buddy um, I, I, I've got a, a movie that I went to see uh, simply for the fact that everybody said it was utter shite. Now, oh, I know what this is. Yeah, yeah. The minute anyone says a film is shit, it immediately makes me want to go see it. It makes me want to track it down. Now, the, 
the trailer for this film came out and I watched it and thought, you know what, that looks quite good. Uh, comedy anthology film with a wrap round. I could go for that. You know, there's some good comedic actors attached to it. I'll go for it. And then the reviews came out and I thought, oh, well, yeah, but people are always going to shoot this shit down. And then the reviews from actual people that I know started flooding in and everyone's just saying it was pointless and just shite. Uh, so I thought, right, well, I, I need to now see this. It's, it, it, it's not just a something that I'd like to see or looks interesting, but now I need to see it. And the movie is Movie 43, which is essentially it's, a, it's an anthology comedy um, that's sort of the idea of uh, Peter Farley or Farley Brothers uh, fame. And um, it's a whole host of directors thrown in and, uh, you know, a really, really strong cast. You know, you've got people like Halle, uh, Halle Berry, uh, Jeff Butler... Uh, Anna Faris in it, Hugh Jackman's in it, Johnny Knoxville's in it, Sean Wayne Scott's in it, Emma Stone's in it, got Kate Winslet, um, Kieran Culkin, or Rory Culkin, which one of the Culkins, the talented Culkin. Yeah. Um, you, you know, there's a there's a lot of people in this. I thought, right, you know, there's 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 some guys in there that I like, you know, and there's some there's got to be some good shit in there. Um, so I went to see it with another couple of friends and we all decided right we're going to see we're not going to see this film we're going to see if this film is as shit as people have said it is uh, now there's different rap rounds um, in America it is um, I, I understand it's a, it's a guy pitching a lot of movie ideas it's like it's Dennis Quaid pitching movie ideas to Seth MacFarlane or something right uh, oh, Greg Kinnear, I've got. It says on. Oh, oh no, Greg Kinnear. Greg Kinnear. Sorry, my that's apologies. What yes. that, that's what the American one is, and I'd be. I'd say I'd be interested to see that. But however, there is a but there, though. Um, and the the one that's released in Europe is it's a, a couple of teenage kids who are trying to get back on one of their little brothers, um, and they try to get him to find the most banned film in the world, which is a film called Movie 43. So he's searching the internet trying to find it, and all he keeps finding is these different links, which happen to be the films we've got here. Um, the films, I, there's, there's, a, there's a number of them, um, running through from uh, the first one being one with Kate Winslet, who's on a blind date with Hugh Jackman, and he's got a pair of bollocks hanging from his neck, and she's the only person who seems to be able to see this. Um, but the oral arc is, is what it seems to be, is it seems to be a load of... It, it, essentially, this is a sketch show dragged out to 90-odd minutes um, with very famous people. Um, and the idea seems to be, let's try and do you know some of the most offensive things we can do and the most ridiculous things we can do. The problem is... is it's like the, the old um, David Lynch thing. If David Lynch makes quite strange and very Lynch movies, if somebody tries to make a David Lynch movie, it ends up being shite because you're intentionally trying to be weird. And you can't intentionally sure. be weird. Being weird or being subversive or strange is it, it's something that has to happen organically. Otherwise, what's the point in trying to do it? And... Um, this is what this is with its with its black comedy. Uh, Movie Watch Three is, it, it what it seems to be is if we be too sexual or too creepy or say inappropriate things, then it's really dark and it's really edgy and it ends up going like 
on like a sliding scale, it goes too far around and it goes a little bit like, really? You know, you're, you're trying a little bit too hard. And Well, there's... Sorry, go on. Have you, seen, you've, have you seen it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, uh, um, I'd really love to know what your thoughts were on... Were there bits that you do? I had a couple of bits that I kind of I giggled at, um, and there was a couple of sections that I quite I quite liked the Kieran Culkin Emma Stone section. I thought that was quite amusing. Well, let's bring that up then, because I was absolutely baffled by that bit. Like I I didn't understand where. The, the 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 idea of comedy was supposed to exist in in that one. Well, I, I think it was it was that was the one the only one that I found maybe not. All right, that. I don't think I don't find it amusing. It was the only one that I found interesting as a short film, um, because it was the only one that didn't seem to try and be overtly disgusting. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean. The, the fact that that one actually had a beginning, middle, and end yes. is is something which quite a surprising amount of them are lacking. Mm. Um, particularly, I mean, like, well, you brought it up. The Hugh Jackman, Kate Winslet one, just kind of ends. Yeah, it 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 just that. It, it, I mean, you 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 could have made that was a was a Monty Python sketch. Essentially, that was. That's what that felt like to me. It felt like a sort of they tried to write something like a Monty Python sketch, and it just it it kind of it started and then it just went jump and finished. And it's like oh. so there's no resolution to it. She's not gonna like say you have balls on your neck or anything yeah. like that. It's just gonna go. It uh, just gets rougher and rougher, and then it ends. It, that's that's literally it. Yeah, like like when oh, so what what could be the, what could be the weird thing about it? What could be the weird thing about it? He's got bollocks on his neck. Right, brilliant. Should we write anything else? No, that's it. We'll just go with it. And like they, yeah. they just made it up, the rest of it up on the spot. And neither of them are brilliant comedic actors. You know, they're very good at what they do. That's not what they do. Mm. No, 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 absolutely. I, I, it just the the whole thing. I mean, like it, it is a mixed bag. I mean, it's 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 quite like a, uh, ABCs of death, even like just in the way that there's an awful lot of shit. But there's the odd one which is quite interesting. You see, um, I, sorry. At, at the start of this, if you'd have told me you'll laugh most at the Brett Ratner one, I'd have, I'd have, I'd have probably, I'd have called you a fucker. Which one was that? The Joy Knoxville and Sean William Scott one. Yeah, that one was that one was bearable. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I actually laughed probably most, partially because I, I, I do find both Joy Knoxville and Sean William Scott very funny. And it did seem like they—that was an idea that all three of them had had. Uh, Brett Ratner, Joy Oxford, Sean William Scott had just gotten drunk at one of their houses and gone, "Oh, we've got to write a quick thing for this." And like they'd written it on like the back of a cigarette packet and went, "Yeah, fuck it, there's enough in that." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean that—that's fair. I mean, like I personally, I think my favourite might have been the James Gunn one. Um, just yeah, because... that, that that was funny. The great thing was about the James Gunn one is the people behind us left before that came on. The, the what, sorry? The James Gunn one. People behind us left before that came on because it kind of, that happens kind of after the end of the film, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, and uh, I mean, I will say for folks in the US who have seen movie three, apparently the the running order of the sketches is different as well. Uh-huh. Um, the James the James Gunn one literally all the credits happen like they're directed by written by starring by for all the skits and then right at the end it's got the James Gunn one yeah and, and I was watching it thinking all right this hasn't even happened yet and then that one comes on it's very weird I, I, I must also admit I, I, I did find uh, uh, Jason Sudeikis as, as Batman quite amusing but merely because he's quite amusing as a as an actor that was quite funny the, but the sketch wasn't that funny that's that yeah that's the one i thought that one had its moments actually. yeah it yeah. does have some, some good moments mainly of, of batman just being a bit of a, a bit of an ass yeah. yeah with like with the um with, with robin saying you know batman makes me wear these with the small things and he was there saying i i, I don't make him wear that he just wears that you pick your own yeah costume. that was that was quite amusing or oh, the fact when he was hiding under the table Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, and um, uh, uh, um, fucking uh, Supergirls. Yeah, yeah. Not not what you say. The fact that he just hides under the table. It's like I I can see. I can actually see you under the table. I there are two that I was literally sat there just willing to end, willing just to end, and were just terrible. And one was the middle school date, the Elizabeth Banks one, uh, with um, Chloe Moretz. Oh, uh, that that one! That was, I will say, actually, genuinely offended me. I, 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 uh, I, 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 that, right, that, to me, that is the absolute fucking nail in the coffin for me. Christopher Mintzplatt, Splash Eight, whatever his name is, he is one of the worst actors I have ever seen be given roles in films. I, I it astounds me. That he he has been in big budget films. He is not funny, can't talk, and he, he looks like he's had a stroke. It is oh, I I was watching it going. This is this is a little bit, you know, this isn't offensive, offensive funny. This is just this is just offensive. I I just I don't I don't get how Elizabeth Banks directs that and thinks this is funny. Watching Chloe Moretz smear her period blood over a wall. Yeah. I I, 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 I don't, I just do not get. Yeah, I I don't get where in the writing and everything of that, they went, this is a good idea, you should do this. And why nobody was there going, ah, that's a fucking terrible idea. That's, yeah, that, that's 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 that's, that's not even funny. Just you know, to us right now, that's just it's going too far. Um, and the the truth or dare, Stephen Merchant, Halle Berry one, I thought was just was 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 just so. Bleh. It's just very long. It's very long that one, and for not any real payoff at all. And, and at no point is it is it funny or interesting or anything. Um, Stephen Merchant, for me, should just stick to fucking writing. He has no presence at all as, as a comedic performer or anything. He's just... He's tall and uh, he... Uh, oh, well... Uh, oh, he, uh, I'm a little bit awkward looking. And, uh, ooh, I'll, um, uh, he, uh. I just don't get it at all with him. Um, 
and it was it was it was a little bit painful to watch two people falling so flat on their ass. Um, it was it was bad. It, it, it's just everything that I thought it you know when I was when people were going on about it, I thought right it, that can't be that bad. It is it is as bad and as bland as people are telling you. No, sorry, the Terence Howard one was quite amusing. That, yeah, that's the other one. I was trying to think of what it was. Yeah. That was actually pretty funny. The basketball one was quite amusing with the fact that it all, the, the all he kept... I mean, it was exactly as offensive as it should have been. Of Just like... Because he never actually kind of... He never actually says what he means. He just keeps on yeah. saying to them. When they keep saying, oh, how do we beat him? And he keeps just saying... You don't need to beat them. You just need to go out there and you'll win. And the great bit where they're actually playing and the coaching bit just says, you're black. Yeah. He's, he's just, he's brilliant. And it is, it is very good. And the fact that the guy at one point gets up and says, I think what coach is trying to say is that if we believe in ourselves, yeah, do this. Yeah, he's yeah. like, no, that's not what I'm trying to say. Just try to say that you're black. And I'll admit that one, that one had me laughing. That's the that and the um, James Gunn one are the last two, and they're the, yeah. they're the best two out of a lot of them. And it's and it's after the bizarre wraparound bit, and like no one seems to know why the wraparounds are different between the US and the UK. Yeah, I, I don't don't understand that at all. I mean, if they'd use more. Um, UK appealable actors in the in like the, the UK's wraparound one. If they'd use I don't know a couple of actors who are in the in between, it's just something like that. If there was some kind of link to that, I could understand. But it's like they had they did two wraparounds and they went, oh, don't know what you want to use. All right, we'll use this one in the US and we use this one in Europe. And then when we release it on on blu-ray we've got both of them we can you can use that as a selling point but mm. it was what i what i was a little bit sad about is that i went to see this on a tuesday night at the cinema and it was about third full and it had been out for a week and everyone was saying it was shit i've been to see bullet in the head sorry bullet in the head, bullet to the head the night before on the monday night and it had been released on the friday and there was about six people there. And mm. I found that a little bit sad. Mm. Yeah, I I, I, I I, don't know. I mean, it just... I mean, what was the audience mainly made out of for yours, though? Yeah, was it, it, like, it, mainly... yeah, it was exactly the main people um, that, 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 um, that we thought it would... That I thought it was going to be. It was kind of... 16 to 19 year olds who who probably all own the DVD or Blu-ray of Keith Lemon. That was yeah, it, exactly. And I mean, it, it is the old, like, just get a bunch of stars together so you can put them on the poster and see what happens thing. And what happens? They they make money. And, you know, fair play, frankly. I, but, I mean, it, it, I, I, the thing is, it's not, I know right now, I know it's not going to be the worst film I see this year. There's I there's I didn't hate it. No, I don't think I don't think I, I hated it. It's just shit. 
Yeah, that it is just shit. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I thoroughly, I'll be very surprised if I, I'll, I'll be very shocked if I don't see three or four films worse than this this year, um, because like I say, there are a couple of there are a couple of okay scenes in it. There just happens to be more really fucking shitty scenes in it. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's not. It's definitely not great. Like I said, I'm very surprised for the worst of my seat. But what I would say is, it's one to it's one to wait until it comes up on Netflix, something like that, and maybe give it a go because there's maybe in an hour and a half, there's maybe there's half an hour's worth of comedy in there. Give it a go when you're pissed as well. Yeah. Right, if you're stone cold sober, nah. Yeah. Right. What is your one new? Okie dokie, my one new is going to be a film that's on US video on demand at the moment. Um, it's Roman Coppola's new film. Roman Coppola, um, oh. co-writer of some Wes Anderson films. Um, he directed a film uh, like 10 years ago, uh, CQ, which is uh, uh, pretty good, frankly. Uh, CQ, I, I enjoyed CQ. And uh, this film is a glimpse inside the mind of Charles Swan the Third. So uh, this stars Charlie Sheen uh, in his kind of post two and a half men pre anger management um, uh, kind of state uh, as uh, Charles Swan, uh, a a kind of a a graphic designer guy who's going through a bit of a slump uh, after he breaks up with his long term girlfriend. Uh, And basically it's him thinking he's having um, health problems and, uh, and kind of imagining certain surreal situations while also trying to um, design an album cover for his best friend played by Jason Schwartzman. Uh, You've also got Bill Murray in there as his lawyer as well, who appears in many kind of fantasy sequences. Um, So yeah, a glimpse inside the mind of Charles Swan the third, your enjoyment of the film will vary depending on your tolerance for Charlie Sheen and your tolerance for Roman Coppola's, constant i want to make this feel like the 60s uh vibe um i i wouldn't recommend it because of those things but if you're okay with both of those i would say it's probably worth a watch it's also only 79 minutes long before credits so it's not going to take that much out of your life now frankly I find Charlie Sheen to be an endearing screen presence. Yes, I'm, he, I'm exactly the same. I love watching him. Yeah, he gets that mix of he's a douchebag, but he's a douchebag who you know you'd have a great night out with. <laughs> yeah. Like, really, he gets that really, really well. Um, and I mean, and, and that's exactly what he, uh, what he is here. Um, his constant kind of whining of why he's in his situation you, you are just thinking about the entire thing well you know because you like chasing skirt and you're refusing to accept that you're getting on you know but watching him do those things and have these fantasy sequences and whatnot um there's there's one pretty fantastic one which is very very 60s where he bill murray and jason schwartzman are uh trying to escape from the uh uh, this like super villain uh, group called like the Association of Ball Busters, uh, who are effectively women who go around trying to um, 
bust these guys' balls, essentially, which is probably rather obvious. And, you know, it's, it's rather 60s style, like Mary Elizabeth Winstead, um, uh, kind of cameos in this bit and in various other bits. And, you know, she's wearing tight leather stuff and, um, is in a kind of a 60s styled, almost like kind of mission control spaceship kind of thing. Um, so, you know, that's, that's fun. Um, and, and I mean, Coppola's kind of, um, uh, very much kind of this is what I want to do style things are um, uh, create a certain kind of um, a- atmosphere as well they're um, uh, it, it very much uh, it, it kind of unique in it's uh, in, in, in the kind of the amount of pastiche it's doing and especially in like today's kind of cinema um, what it what it also isn't though is focused um, it's all over the place it only really decides to have a plot about 55 minutes into the film. The first 55 minutes are basically a, a glimpse inside the mind of Charles Swan III. I mean, in terms of what it, uh, what it, 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 what it says on the tin, the film is a 10 out of 10. Uh, well, but, however, it doesn't really know what it's doing. It's, it's meandering. It's all over the place. But it's pretty laid back and, and kind of entertaining to watch in that kind of way. And actually, I think I put it up to a three out of five on uh, on Letterboxd after talking about it on Heroes, because, frankly, it get it does get a very, very mild recommend from me. But it is a subjective thing. Um, I, I don't really have too much more to say other than that, really. I mean, Jason Schwartzman and Bill Murray are fantastic um, support. Uh, it, it, they're not on screen enough, frankly. I mean, Jason Schwartzman gets some great stuff to do. He's this, um, he's this uh, kind of like best-selling mu- uh, musician, and um, he he has a very eccentric look to him, and like he he always seems to be finding the joy in things, and uh, it, that's you know that that's quite fun to watch. And uh, Bill Murray is Bill Murray. Um, uh, Catherine Winnick, who I'm just looking her up because I recognise her from stuff. Uh, she was is... in Love and Other Drugs and some other stuff. Yeah, she was indeed. Um, she plays uh, she uh, Swan's ex-girlfriend and uh, is, you know, uh, pretty good as well. Um, she kind of manages to make the, the relationship with Sheen work more than maybe it should do oh she was in hellraiser hell world well that's something um but yeah yeah i mean it it, it generally um it's not it's not a, a fantastic film at all but for those so inclined by what i've described about it you'll probably have a good time so uh yeah there you go and wow she's also a lot older than i thought yeah, she was she's like in her play. mid-30s isn't she yeah, you wouldn't think it from looking at her. No, she's, she's, she's quite a pretty lady, isn't she? Yeah, she is quite fetching. Which is my code word for... Uh, I'm not sure <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so uh, that, that's, uh, that's that. Bang on. Um, okay, so we shall move on. And um, who's going to describe the discussion topic for this week, bud? You, because it's your idea. <laughs> oh, okay, yep, cool, fine. Uh, okay, so this week's discussion topic with the release of wreck it ralph in uh uk so finally yeah he is indeed going to wreck it I, I literally, um, after i saw it I, I literally for about an hour that was all i could say did you download the game onto your phone and have a little play I did yes yeah thought, thought that might have happened um <laughs> so uh yeah yeah so uh wreck it ralph um yeah, and basically, 
the idea that, you know, Pixar for so long were the gold standard of CG animated fare. But over the last couple of years, the sheen's kind of come off them a bit. So our discussion topic is like, are Pixar still the the leading light or are there other folks snapping at their heels? And I mean, I'll say, um, you know, Disney in-house Disney Animation Studios had a very, very rocky time during the noughties. I mean, basically, they didn't do anything for years. But then they kind of came back with uh, Princess and the Frog, which wasn't CG, but Tangled, which was perfectly solid. Yeah. Um, uh, Wreck-It Ralph, obviously, and I'm missing one. Fuck. Uh... What am I thinking of? Uh... Bull. Oh, no, do you know what? I was actually thinking of Frankenweenie. Oh, yes, of course. It, even though that's stop motion. So I, I suppose maybe a, a addendum, maybe not CG, but just animation in general. Yeah, um, and I mean, like, Frankenweenie crashed and burned at the box office, but it's Tim Burton's, in my opinion, Tim Burton's best film in at least a decade. Um, uh, a Wreck-It Ralph, I thought, was fantastic. I thought it was great fun. Um but then, I mean, like, you've also got DreamWorks, who, you know, How to Train Your Dragon, Kung Fu Panda 2, Madagascar 3, which is... Is, is, is a lot funnier than it has any fucking right to be. Yeah, it, it really, really is. And, I mean, Rise of the Guardians, which is at least visually interesting, if not the best story in the world. Um, and, I mean, like, you've just got the, all these um, animation studios that uh, are kind of competing. I mean, even Illumination Entertainment, even though, like, all they've really done of note so far is Despicable Me, um, even though they did the Lorax, which made a lot of money. But, I mean, I suppose the key ones, other than Pixar, are Disney Animation Studios and um, even maybe Leica with Coraline and Paranorman, you know, like, they, yeah. they are very, very critically respected. So, I mean, that's yeah, the, the general question. Who were, I think, as critically on a par with um, with Pixar. Because Pixar, are the, that, that's, the, that's, that's the thing they have, is they're, they're the critic darling. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so, I mean, I suppose the, the question is, like, are Pixar losing their steam, or is it just that the competition has gotten a lot better? I think, for me, uh, personally, because obviously... I'm I'm not the greatest Pixar fan in the world. Um, I think what's happened is I think I think Pixar's quality has dipped in the past couple of years. Uh, I think you know it, when you go since sort of 2008 when they released Wall-E, which was when they, I that was really the first kind of proper, real critical landmark film they made. You know the, the rest of them had all been you know they'd received very positive reviews um, with the exception of Cars. Uh, but I think Wally, it, it, especially that opening sort of forty odd minute, it, it had a different level to it. Um, it, it. It took it beyond the mere family film. It had a different sort of message behind it, and it had a stronger critical reception than any other ones. Um, and then up, up seemed to split opinion a lot more uh, than those. And Toy Even though it was the one that got the Oscar nomination, yeah, like for best picture. Um, but I think, I mean, I, I have I have a lot of problems with Up. Uh, I think, oh, yeah. I think it, it, its Best Picture nomination was based on having a very strong, short film at the start of it and then tacking a story onto the end of it that people didn't focus on as much as that opening bit. Uh, and then Toy Story 3, which was very well received and, you know, it, it's a very entertaining film. 
And then they've kind of nosedived a little bit by doing Cars 2, which is essentially, I don't care what people say, Cars 2 is a toy commercial. It, it, it's, it's a two-hour toy commercial, only released to sell more toys. Um, that's it. That That's what that is. Uh, and then Brave last year, which was... It, it, it fell in that category of being... It, it was acceptable. It was perfectly decent. But it was very derivative. Um, and had no originality to it at all. Um, and felt a little bit like... Like they were coasting a little bit. Uh-huh. Whereas you had um, DreamWorks at the same time. Um, you know, they'd... They released Madagascar 3, which wasn't you know it's already off the back of a you know very well established and very big made a lot of money uh, franchise but madagascar 3 i watched it expecting to hate it but it's very funny it's it's insane it literally it has it has the most basic story you can get and there's no build-up the build-up to what's going to happen usually with any film especially with sort of family films and kids films and stuff like that is yeah they're split into three acts a build up and then you have the event happening and then the conclusion and that's what you have and it's a very, very much a set out structure when I guess three it's like right open credits ah the build up bang here's a load of batshit stuff I mean, literally, there's a massive, crazy chase about 10 minutes yeah. into Madagascar 3, and it basically doesn't stop. It is quite something. Yeah, that, that that chase should be about sort of halfway through it, and it's not. Yeah. It's in, like, the first 10 minutes. And you watch it going, whoa, hang on a minute. Aren't they going to set this up more or build it up? And do you know what? Fuck it. I, I'm along for the ride. Because... It is, it, it's not trying to be anything other than a film aimed at kids, that film. It's not trying to have any other level to it. It is just a lot of colour, a lot of throwaway comments, a lot of stupidity, and that's it. And I, I really fucking liked that. Um, so you, you had... Um, and then recently, you know, Disney have started to dip their toe a little bit more after, after producing essentially a lot of shit for a lot of years. Um... They came out the Princess and the Frog, which was their first kind of, you know, majority of the hand-drawn animation. Then they made Tangled, which was supposed to be hand-drawn, but then that was ditched, um, and they went for computer-generated. But they were they were both very entertaining movies. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I, just, I, I mean, and I mean, like, there, there are other kind of like people biting at the heels as well. I mean, yeah, I mean, you look at you look at Leica with, um, I mean, particularly with Paranorman, and I mean. It, it just, it's such, it, it, it like Pixar was always the one that like gave the quality kids films that like people could get behind, and DreamWorks are the ones who just did like the pop culture bollocks. Yeah, right. with the very lazy morals. Like I mean, DreamWorks like Over the Hedge and Shark Tale. You mm-hmm. know, we, we, I mean, it, you know, which were all celebrity voices and no wit. Flushed away. So, oh yeah, flushed. Yeah, I mean, flushed away. I, I mean, like that. Like Ardman's Napier completely. And I'm not even a massive fan of pirates. I mean, in fairness, I I like Arthur Christmas. I like Wallace and Gromit. But Ardman, I do think there's a little bit of just because they're British, it means oh, we have to support them no matter what. There absolutely is, uh, and I think in this country, um, 
you know, Nick Park gets lauded as being this wonderful guy. And very much like we were saying about um, Tom Hooper, I, I have a friend who works with Nick Park. Um, and I asked him, say, what's he like? And his exact response was, he's a fucking cunt. I was like, oh, right. And he, he worked with him, like, on a day-to-day basis for four or five hours a day and said that he was, he, he said he's a, a horrible man. Um, so... I do think that that Aardman get a little bit of a pass, especially in this country. I enjoyed Pirates. I thought it was it was a lot of fun, um, but I think it it it's a forty five minute Christmas special made into a movie. And yeah, it, sure. It feels like at points for forty five minutes, it's brilliant, but it just it feels very stretched um, over over the course of like a. <laughs> an 80-odd minute movie. Uh, there's, I, there just wasn't quite enough there for me. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's fair. I, it just... I don't... I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's weird that in animation, like, more than any other genre, it's the studio who get, like, picked up on for, like, the, the quality. And it's like, oh, is it a DreamWorks animation film? Ah, oh, it's going to be... This is a Pixar animated film. It's going to be... Ah, oh, it's going to be great. You know, it, it's not like with horror. I mean, I suppose, like, people say, all right, if it's Platinum Dunes or whatever. But, yeah. Or, or, or say, like, drama. It's not like, oh, well, if it's a Fox Searchlight, it's going to be great. If it's a Weinstein company, it's going to be fucking terrible. It's so weird that it's animation where we seem to... And, I mean, we're, we're feeding into this ourselves, like, asking, like, are Pixar are the ones or is it people getting, you know, any... any um, is it the brands getting... Other brands getting better? When it's, like... I mean, Pixar have that, like, brain trust thing, and you've got John Lasseter executive producing stuff, even though he also executive produces Disney Animation Studios films. The, that, that um, of his position at Disney now is, you know, he, he's one of the main guys at Disney now, so he has the authority to now, you know, his name it, it will will help sell a movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it just, it, it, it's so weird that, we, we talk of these things where, like, you know, I mean, you talk about Disney Animation Studios and, like, Rich Moore, who directed Wreck-It Ralph, and Tim Burton, who directed Frank and Winnie, don't really have any particular ties to Disney Animation Studios. They're not exactly jobbers, I mean, especially not Tim Burton. But, it, it, I mean, that that's weird. I mean, but it, 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 I suppose it is the Pixar thing. But even that brain trust, like, the Pixar brain trust has, added, has, has had knocks with, like, Brave, like, the, the woman who was originally directing it got fired off the project. And... Well, I mean... and, and Sorry, I mean, look, let's be honest. I mean, John Carter originally was set out to be Pixar's first live-action film. You know, mm-hmm. that that was the idea behind it all. And then that was kind of, you know, they pulled the plug on that, you know, quite early into, into sort of storyboarding and everything. Decided, no, we'll do this as Disney. And we'll, we'll very much, that was the decision where they said, no, we're going to keep Pixar as just Pixar are just going to do animated stuff. But that was originally going to be the idea around John Carter, um, which could also feed into um, Noel's um, conspiracy theory about why John Carter was so badly shit on by Disney. Mate, I tell you what, I um, it's funny you talk about that. I've been reading a book I bought off uh, 
um, the Amazon Kindle store, uh, John Carter and the Gods of Hollywood, which is uh, written by this guy who uh, created this website, the John Carter Files, which was like a uh, kind of basically trying to drum up support for the John Carter movie adaptation. And it's basically a massive conspiracy theory about the production of John Carter and like it basically like it, it blames a number of things we're talking about like the uh the changing of, of studio heads and um uh and, and like and why disney was so quick to announce that it was a 200 million dollar write-off and mm. you know how basically factors at disney regarding like new heads and and um also the acquisition of marvel and the potential acquisition of lucasfilm basically put pay to john carter because it was a it was a project that was too similar to to the markets that Mar the Marvel and Lucasfilm acquisitions were trying to go after as well. Yeah, um, it's uh, the book is a little bit it gets slightly the rantings of a fanboy at times, but the the pure facts. I mean, the guy lost so much stuff and he interviewed people. The pure facts of the case with regards to John Carter are. You know, they're pretty fascinating. This book was like three quid, and I'd give it a recommend just for that. Anyway, uh, sorry. I'll, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be giving that a read. For sure. Um, yeah, I mean, my favourite recently, in the past few years, my favourite um, Digimation film, I suppose, uh, is being Cloudy the Chance of Meatballs. Uh, oh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's absolutely. a, that was a, you know, and that, when that first came out, um, I kind of went, watched the trailer and said, sort of looked at the thought, God, that looks fucking awful. And was very much kind of throw away about it. And I'll be honest, the reason why I ended up giving it a go was because um, Mark Kermode said, um, you know, when he went to see it, you know, he, he sat down and he said, this is, you know, I, I go in and I, I, I have, you know, the same thing, everything gets a fair chance, and I was willing to give it a good go. He said, but in the back of my mind, I was thinking, mm, this isn't very, very good. He said, and then, he said, I came out of it thinking, that'd be, that's what it would be like if David Lynch tried to make a kid's film. Yeah. And straight away I thought, oh, all right, then I'll give it a go. You know, I can use the fact that I'm taking Isabel with me as, you know, a, a reason for me to go and watch it. Um, and it, it is brilliant. You know, the, the snowball fight scene in that was one of those that had me physically having to calm myself down a little bit from laughing so much. And then the guys who made that went on to make um, Put On Jump Street. And they're going well, to make... Yeah, now they're doing the Lego movie Lego movie, as well. which, you know, if you'd have said, if you'd have said to me, oh... There's a Lego movie. I'm like, really? A Lego movie? Oh, it's by the guys who did 20 on Jump Street and uh, Cloud of the Gents Meatballs. I'm like, oh, fuck, yeah. I'm on board with that. I can see where that's going to go. Um, so, you know, there's, there is... I think I think what's happened is is the other animation studios have, have, have looked a little bit at, at why um, and how, you know, Pixar have a template and how they don't go for just pop culture references, and how they try and deal with them in a slightly more intelligent manner. And then, so they, they, they've tried to elevate to that, and that is what's, what, what's happened. So they've got a little bit stronger, whereas I think now Pixar have kind of gone, right, well, our movies cost a lot of money to make a market. We need to be, you know, we need to be making fucking Star Wars money, you know, we're selling a shit ton of uh, Buzz Lightyear dolls. Hmm. Maybe if we can get a, a brave doll. Maybe if we, ooh, we don't have a female Buzz Lightyear, do we? We'll release 
brave, then we've got a strong female character. And they've probably sold fucking shitloads of the brave costumes, you know, over, over Christmas. And it just, it feels a little bit like the accountants are getting a, a, involved a little bit at Pixar. Sure. And I think, you know, there's not the, right, let's make this wide because it's, it's an actual story we want to tell or it'll be interesting because of this and it'll explore this. It's, let's make this because um, we'll be able to sell this and we'll be able to sell this and we'll be able to sell this. And that does seem like what it's getting with Pixar nowadays. Yeah, which, I mean, it's probably like, oh, kind of Disney buying Pixar up, like, a fair while back now is, is, is probably why why that is. I mean, but at least, I mean, at least Brave was an original IP. I mean, that that's something, you know, I mean, after, I mean, even though Toy Story 3 was uh, fucking great, um, but, you know, Cars 2, and you got Monsters University this year. Yeah. You know, Finding Nemo 2 is going to be hitting in a few years, you know, and I mean, like, this was... I, I swear, John Lasseter, like, once said back in the day, we are the studio who don't make sequels. Yeah, he he said that just after they made Toy Story 2 as well. So he said that just after that, that was in, and that was in response to them saying, you know, well, what else have you got? You know, you've made three films in the studio, uh, two Toy Story movies. And he said, well, we're, we're, we're a studio that's not going to just make sequels. Um, and it's like, I, 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 do you know what? I thought Monsters Inc. was alright. It's too fucking long. It's too drawn out, Monster, the film, but I thought it was alright. At no point have I thought, ooh, I, I, I won't mind watching those characters again for the two hours. You know, I, I could barely watch them for the two fucking hours they were on screen for last time. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's... I, that's interesting. I mean, it's almost like in terms of who the new... who Pixar are now, I mean, it's almost like it's like a... But unfortunately, they just don't have the resources. And I mean, like the stop motion films just t- take longer to make. Uh, so that like with, with the, the same amount of manpower. So it, it, it's taking it, it, they're not able to get the product out there. I mean, they just this week announced their new film, but I don't think that's going to be out until next year. You know, where I mean, whereas DreamWorks Animation, they are flooding the market, I think. I think they are now doing three animated films a year or something, yeah, um, which, they're, which they're, is insane. They're able to throw so much money at it, though. I mean, yeah. like, it, it, it is such a small studio. Um, you know, this this is a studio that also, as well, it, it has to make a lot of money to be able to make these movies. You know, the Paranorman, for instance, cost, you know, it cost a decent amount of money to Paranorman. Um, I mean, what's the budget is put at sixty million, and part of the reason behind why that costs so much money is because it's the sheer amount of time these companies have to invest totally in in, in doing this, um, and you know they do it through through other work. You know they do a lot of they do a lot of commercials and stuff like that, um, and you know, the box trolls isn't isn't down to be out until you know at the earliest sort of late next year. So you're talking about a film every two years, really, from them. Mm. Sorry, I was just <clears throat> just drinking some drink. Um, no, I mean that that, that yeah, that that's it. that's exactly it. Um, so I mean, I suppose in a way, kind of, I suppose wrapping it up. I mean, I I don't know. The question is just who are the ones these days, or or should we not even be considering it under those parameters? Just like take each film 
a go at a time or is it that the, there's something inherent in the brand as I think there was in the Pixar brand which has been diluted um I, I, I mean it's it's it, 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 it it's an interesting one um I don't know I mean I think this is more a, like a discussion which could be completely ongoing rather than anything else I, I think that certainly nowadays I think you've got to you've got to take them on their own merits now um for instance, like you say, DreamWorks used to be, uh, DreamWorks Animation used to be a sign for me, oh great, this is going to be shit. You know, and now they're up in the game. I think everyone, I think everyone's more on a level playing field now. Um, you'll, you'll still get more shit than you will good. Um, for every one um, Paranorman you get, you'll get four Hotel Transylvanias. You know, that's that's what you're going to get. Sure. Um, it'd just be nice if we could get that down to, you know, for every two Paranormans you get, you get two shit films. If you get that to there, it'd be quite nice. But it it it's it, it's unlikely when when movies like House um, of Transylvania still make a shit ton of money. And the Ice, I mean Ice Age Four was it? Yeah, that one last year. That yeah. still made like seven hundred odd million dollars. Uh, I don't even remember it coming out. But it, it, it still made like $750 million at the box office, which is insane. When you compare that, like, Paranorman made, I'd be surprised if it, what, did it even break $100 million? Fuck it, mate, it did nothing. Let's look that 100, up. 105 million worldwide. Frankenweenie still did 105 million. No, Paranorman, Frankenweenie made about eight quid, didn't it? Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. 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 I, I want to look that up actually. But I mean, for Paranorman, that's not too bad. I mean, I particularly because I was doing the box office column for each single film at the time as well. I remember Paranorman did really well because it was very smartly placed in 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 the release schedule. I believe it was like yeah, it was September where the summer holidays films had basically run their course and the half term films weren't even close to coming out yet. So we had three or four solid weeks when it was the only fresh kids film. And it, and it did well as a result, whereas Frankenweenie came out around the same time as Madagascar 3 in the UK, uh, which which killed it, frankly. Um, I mean, here we go, Frankenweenie, worldwide, $67 million. Which is I mean, the production budget is only 39 mil, so that's something, but that, still... That's still, a, that, that still is a bit of a flop. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, I mean, for a Disney film. But then again, I mean, it was Disney saying Alice in Wonderland just made us a billion dollars and you've basically sold your soul, Timber, and do you want to try and get a little bit of your soul back? Yeah, he didn't. Yeah, his, soul, I, I, his soul is dead. I, I, well, I, I, I quite I quite like Frank and Weenie, actually. I, but... I, I liked bits of it, but it did feel like a short film made too long to me um, but I didn't hear it which I thought I was going to to be honest because Tim Burton's gone for me mm. yeah so I mean I, I, I don't know I don't think we've come to any firm conclusions at all have we it's just been an interesting discussion yeah I think I think it has been more of a, a, more of a discussion that one rather than a, a, a putting to rights <laughs> absolutely absolutely and uh, so we shall move on and Mark it's the last part of our Richard Linklater uh, marathon and what are we covering uh, we are covering the uh, Zac Efron, Christian McKay starring 
Me and Orson Welles, uh, which we'll play a little clip from now, and then we'll we'll get into having a quick chat about this. This is the story of one week in my life. It was the week I fell in love. The week I would make my Broadway debut. What the hell is it now? And the week I would meet Orson Welles. John, this kid's gonna play Lucius. Who do you work for nothing? Orson! Quiet, I'm negotiating. Orson's very competitive, very self-centered. This stage is where history is being written. Very brilliant. Okay, listen, people. Nail your words to the back wall, and that goes for the rest of you. Consonants, consonants, consonants. And don't forget the vowels. Don't criticize him. Ever. No, sir, there are more with him. Not more with him, more with him. This is Shakespearean verse we're speaking. I know my lines. And I say you need more time. <laughs> so tell me who you are. What are you offering? Wealth, travel, fame. I can take you to movies that have all that. You're cute. The whole show is in shambles. He is an arrogant... I am selfish. And every single one of you stands here as an adjunct to my vision. You don't like the way I work here? There's the door. There is water breaching the deck. Sabotage! This is the essential Orson Welles moment. We might have a show that closes Thursday night. We might have a show that people will remember for 50 years. Orson wants to stay with me tonight. Want me to fight for you? Because I will. You've only known me for a week. Well, sometimes you remember a week for the rest of your life. Images of magnificence. That's what you see in every great actor's eyes. That's all that matters in this world. I'm proud of every member of this company. Gotta be one of those magic nights tonight. Can you feel it? It's showtime. So that was the trailer for um, Me and Orson Welles, which is the last part of our Richard Linklater um, marathon. Uh, we've tried to cover sort of, you know, Linklater's less Linklatery films. Um, and this very much is possibly his most um, mainstream seeming film, with the fact that, you know, he, he cast Zac Efron very much in the midst of the... Um, High School Musical Explosion. Um, Zac Efron actually came to the, the picture before um, Linklater was, was actually attached to it. Um, and the whole film is based on the uh, Robert Capo's novel, uh, which is set around the time, or it's set in the time when uh, Orson Welles was making um, Julius Caesar. Um, his stage production of that in New York, um, the one that basically... And, you know, very much, you know, Orson Welles says it made Orson Welles. You know, it was the, the, the thing that they gave him the opportunity to take on Hollywood and to go out there and, and do what he did afterwards, which was just four years later, he made Citizen Kane. Um, it, it, the thing about this film is it, it very much, if you're making a film called Me and Orson Welles, you have to get Orson Welles right. If you don't get Orson Welles right, you don't have a film. Simple as that. Um, so Linklater got Christian McKay, who had just finished doing a um, a one-man show playing Orson Welles. 
um, to play Orson Welles. Um, now, it very much, you know, this is a story about which Sam Knowles, who is a high school kid who goes and gets himself on the cast and does some odd job in, and it's but it's more about Orson Welles' ego than anything else, which you know was astonishing. And I mean, how old was Welles when he did this? Was he twenty one when he Something made like that. and he he did this so. Uh, 1937, he was, sorry, yeah, 21, 22 um, at this point. Um, and what, you know, anything, anyone who reads anything about Arsene Wells, you know, wonder that he, he is was an incredibly egotistical man who everything had to be done his way. He was the star of everything. Everybody should be glad that they were working near him. And the, the only drawback of that was that it was true, <laughs> is that yeah. he was an astonishingly accomplished man for 21 years old, ferociously intelligent, ridiculously talented, and very aware of all those things. Um, you know, we've also got Claire Danes in here and Ben Chaplin and the absolutely wonderfully beautiful Kelly Riley in it. So I thought you were going to say the absolutely wonderfully beautiful Eddie Marzen. Oh, Eddie Marzen, who, who is a, a, a hideously beautiful man. Uh, quickly, Kelly Riley is fucking stunning in this Yeah, Stunning in everything. Guys, a tentative link as well. Ben Chaplin and Eddie Marsden share a same share one similar thing. They both made their acting debuts um, to the British public um, in the same TV show. What really? TV show was it? EastEnders. Nope. Do you remember the comedy, the BBC Two comedy, Game On? Oh, okay. Fucking hell, Ben Chapman made his debut in Game On yeah, with Samantha Janis. Yeah, Ben Chapman's debut was in Game On. And Eddie Marsden was in the last ever episode of Game On playing a convict who took Samantha Janice, um and the replacement for Ben Chaplin um, and Martin uh, took them uh, hostage at the flat. Fucking brilliant. That was, that was his first ever UK TV appearance. Huh. And I, I remember watching it and going, going, I can't see why Samantha Janice would be with somebody who, because they were supposed to have dated in a previous time, I can't see where they would have been because he's not a very attractive man. But yeah. my God, is he a good actor? <laughs> and I've yeah, Eddie, Eddie Martin's from, from, yeah. from that. Because there's a bit where um, it, where he shouts the phrase, bastard well dangerous, and it was wonderful. <laughs> but anyway, moving on, what did you think of uh, me and Arson Wells? Um, yeah, so, I mean, this was a first time watch for me. It was I, I just, it wasn't really a film I ever felt I needed to get around to, if I'm honest. Um, but I had a really good time with it. Um, it, it does it, it does feel like an oddity from Link, like, uh, pardon me, from Link Data. Um, just because, like, it, it's not, you know, it's not slackery. It's, it's not one of the before films. You know, it, it's not one of his animated films. It, it's not one of his Jack Black starring films. It's, it, you know, I mean, like Made in the Isle of Man with like a mainly British cast and a, an American in the lead. I mean, it's a very interesting like left turn for him. Uh, but I, I thought it was quite a satisfying one. Um, it just it's very, very easy to watch. Mm. Um, it, it doesn't ask too much of you. And I mean, like, in fairness, the story offers no surprises whatsoever. No. Uh, 
you know, I bet, like you, you can tell everything coming a mile off. But I don't really mind because you know Efron is a fun presence in the lead. He's got the he's got the charming thing down, but I mean he's quite affable at the same time. You get on board with him. Yeah. But, I mean, I, sorry, go on. I, I think Zach Efron stuck in a very strange position um, because he comes from the you know the Disney canon, you know, and he he's part of that, but. The strange thing with Efron is, is he can't sing, really. He's not a very good singer. So he doesn't have the Timberlake-esque thing that Justin Timberlake has. Um, he, he's not a very good dancer. Um, he's not... Uh, but the thing is, he's not, a, he's not a great actor, but he's not a terrible actor. But the main things he has is he's an incredibly good-looking young man. I mean, he is an incredibly handsome young man. Um... He's not incredibly charismatic, but he's actually very, very likable, and he has unbelievable hair, you know, and he plays all that very well. He plays likable so well in this film. Sure. Yeah, no, I, 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 absolutely, absolutely. And, I mean, I, I mean, Christian McKay is ridiculously good. Mm. Um, he captures that whole thing of Orson Welles of... The man is a dick, but holy fuck, do you want to hang around with him? Yeah. And and it, it, that is brilliant. And the fact that he, he, he manipulates people so wonderfully. I mean, the for, for me, this, this film comes alive about about an hour in. There's a moment where uh, Orson Welles says, right, we need to have a bit of fun now. So he decides what they do is they all have to put, their, uh, get, put a ticket in a hat and what they have to do is somebody has to go and pick out a ticket and if whichever ticket you get um, you have to you get Oswald will give you five dollars and you have to go on a date with that person Um, and Zac Efron basically picks out one number and says a different number so he can go out with Claire Dane's character and then he drops it back in and Wells notices that he drops it back in and Wells looks at him and he, he, he turns on and looks and says oh I probably shouldn't have put that back in and Wells kind of at that point sort of throws him a bone, but but then shits all over him. And it's at that moment where Wells decides I am going to crush this young man. And for the next sort of twenty minutes, that is the best sequence of the film, it, 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 where Wells decides that that's it, he's going to crush this guy. But he does it in such a sneaky way and a manipulative way. It is wonderful. Yeah, I mean that, that. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like his, what he's thinking of Zac Efron's character throughout the whole thing is really, really well done. I mean, I, I will say, I, I didn't. I, I mean, I said there weren't any, really many uh, any surprises, but I will say, I didn't think he was gonna fuck him over that hardcore at the end, um, because I mean, like. I, I knew it wasn't going to work out with him and Claire Danes because, you know, and it, it, I mean, one complaint I would have with the film is that, you know, that uh, the other girl, Greta, she, she turns up at the beginning and halfway through and she's almost just like the consolation prize or something. It's, it's, I thought it was a little insulting to her character. Yeah. Um, that, you know, it, it, it like, you know, the bit where he says, uh, you know, I'll get your article to, uh, you know, I'll give it to Claire Danes' character. I thought the whole thing was going to be that he forgot to do that. You know, so like the fact that it is just like, 
and, and you know, at the end she has that letter from the New Yorker and, and she says, oh, you know, I, I never could have done it without you. It, it was a little bit, I, it would have been nice if, if it had actually been, in fact, he just owned up and said, I, you know, I didn't give it to her. That was all you or something like that. It, it's weird that she actually needs his help, even though he, he doesn't really fuck her over, but it feels like he ignores her quite a bit. It, it's, it's, I don't know. That was weird for me. Yeah, the, the, I think Claire Danes, character or, or performance it could be either I'm not quite sure which it is is a little bit blah at points um, the, 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 she's, she's nowhere near um, as as captivating she's, I mean Claire is, is a very talented actress but she's not I think she's slightly miscast in that role to be honest um, I think you could have flipped her for Kelly Riley quite easily and though they could have swapped places, and that would have made more sense. I just don't think she's as as captivating a presence as he's made out in the film. Sure, no, but yeah, I mean like, that's that's yeah, that's that's fair enough. I mean, and I mean, yeah, but I mean Kelly Riley, like she's very she's likable in a lot of other things. Like she's she's quite a warm presence in the Sherlock Holmes films, but um, I like she does the whole kind of like princess b kind of thing quite well here as well i mean yeah. It, it, she yeah she really is very good as kelly riley um yes. I, 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 I just the, the whole like the whole nature of the film like i i quite like episodic films and this did feel episodic to me um and I, I i i quite liked that and just see i mean that just the magnetism of 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 wells is really really entertaining to watch and you've got Efron who is pretty entertaining to watch as well I mean it just it it's a film you can just sit back and just let it wash over you and then by the end you're like that was a solid couple of hours I really enjoyed that doesn't do anything too mind-blowing but it's it, it's just something you can just it's very very agreeable yeah I think I think it's I mean, it's standing glory. It, it is McKay. Um, he he really does get Wells, and in the few scenes where he gets to be Wells the arsehole, um, he's very good at it. The, the bit where he's ha- where he's having a go at the the stagehand, um, and he calls just a carpenter. That whole that you know that shows you the ego that was you know that was yeah. Wells. Um, he does that very well. He doesn't. He never tries to make him anything other. You can tell that it, 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 he has an understanding of Orson Welles beyond just this film. That, that he really has studied the man and has studied the stories and the, the personalities behind him. He hasn't just he hasn't just you know read a few bits um, and watched a couple of things. You know he he has really put time and effort into this and basically he came to it already. As Wells, you know, he wasn't the first day, uh, uh, the first scene they shot wasn't the first time he'd been Wells. You know, he'd been doing it a lot for a lot of years beforehand. Um, sure. And he he already had the performance. All he had to do was turn up and say the lines. And he's yeah. very captivating when he's talking, like like Wells was supposed to be himself. 
Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean that's the thing. But it, it doesn't feel like it's an overly studied performance. You're right. It does just feel like he fits it. Yeah, it, it is very, very good. I'm kind of, I'm slightly surprised it didn't get more notice when it was actually kind of in cinemas. But I don't know. It, it's just not like it's not like a super fashionable film, I suppose. It, no, um, it, it was a it was a self released film as well. Uh, Linklater um, released it uh, independently. Really? Yeah, it, it, it was non-studio release. Released independently. So, to be honest, what the studios did uh, to kind of shoot it down a little bit was I think they put off put up some big films uh, against it. Because when it came out, uh, sort of Christmas time, so it, it was always going to struggle a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I, it's, uh, that's a that's a shame. That's a shame. But um, I mean, also, I, I think it does a good job of hiding the Isle of Man as well. Um, the, I, I, I think it's interesting that it was shot on there, even though, you know, I, I noticed, even though this might have been, I noticed it just because I, I know of where it was shot. There's not a lot of wide shots in this. It's all very much kept street level. No. Yeah, and, and I mean, it, it, there's not really that much of a sense of scale about the, about the piece, which is in a way kind of a shame because considering it's this like kid going to the big city kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea, I think the reason why I shot a lot of shot the uh, Isle of Man was the, the theatre, they shot it at the Isle of Man, um, had, the, had basically the same architecture and the same plan and everything like that uh, as the actual Mercury Theatre. Oh, so okay. that was the idea for why uh, Linklater chose to shoot it there, that, and it has very good tax breaks. Um, but that was the idea, was the fact that they could shoot it and they wouldn't have to CG in anything of the studio, of the um, the theatre. It, it was it was almost a copy of the theatre, um, the, the Mercury Theatre. So that was that was the reason for why it was shot uh, at the Isle of Man, uh, and the premiere was actually held uh, at that theatre as well. Nice, nice. So uh, bear in mind, we you know we we we've got time constraints. Um, your thoughts on me and Orson Welles? Was it shit or definitely not shit? No, definitely not shit. Um, I had I had a really good time with it. I, a, I certainly don't. Sorry, go on. It's a good Sunday afternoon film, I'd say. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I watched it on a uh, Friday, really early morning, but it, it worked for me well enough there as well. Yeah, yeah that, no, I had a really good time with it. Yeah, and Richard Linklater, um, it, 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 as a director, um, what are your what are your thoughts? Uh, a bit of a magpie. Um, you know, I, I, I think he's a little, a slight little bit jack of all trades, master of none. Even though I think he has made some great stuff, I, it, 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 I don't know. He, he's, he is very prolific, but I, for me, for me. I think his quality rate is a little bit lower than you know a lot of other uh, a lot of other directors but the sheer wealth of films he's had I think maybe if you know, it's just like there are a lot of kind of like almost um kind of after 40 kind of um feeling films I'm actually just going to pull up his IMDb cuz I need to back that up but um Plus, like, particularly in the mid-noughties, I thought he had a period where he was just kind of doing whatever. Um, but let me just... 
No, do you know what? I'm talking out of my ass, really, aren't I? I, I, I mean, I, I mean, like I suppose the Newton boys, and I mean, even though that wasn't in the mid noughties but um, a bad new bear, news bears, fast food nation. No, those two in particular just kind of felt like they were just kind of tossed off. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think maybe I'm just I'm being too mean to him, but I'm not as massive a fan of Dazed and Confused as a lot of people are, even though I really like it. I'm not a fan of Slacker at all. I was, I was somewhat uh, on on Suburbia, you know. It just, it, he's he's not my guy, you know. Even though I know he is a lot of people's guy, he's not quite my guy. But maybe I just need to rewatch his uh, a lot of his stuff. Mm. I mean, what else is I've, I've been a huge thing that a fan for a number of years. And I think um, part of that is for a select amount of films. I think when he gets it right. For me, he gets it very right, um, but then when he gets it wrong, it it it's it's pretty fucking terrible. Um, but when he gets it right, I think I think he, he's very good. But he's very he's very interesting in the fact that that he's the sort of director who he never seems to coast. He'll always do something that he thinks is interesting. Um, <laughs> it might not be interesting, but he 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 he's doing it. Because he, he he thinks there's something there to do with it. Mm, nice. That's fair enough. Right. Um, cool. Um, so that was Richard Link there. Don't have a clue who our next marathon is going to be at all. But we, we, will, we will decide and we'll put it out there on, on Twitter. Um, right. Questions. Are you ready? Go ahead, sir. Uh, TGP73 uh, says, What film do you own? the most of multiple formats or what film have you owned the most of mine's easy um, my film I've owned the most of is uh, Blade Runner I've owned it on VHS VHS Director's Cut Laserdisc DVD DVD Director's Cut uh, the special edition um, tin box that they did which had the Director's cut, standard cut, work print, uh, and another cut of some description. I can't remember what it was. Uh, and I've got it twice on Blu-ray as well. Fair play. Um, Jurassic Park, maybe, but there would only be three VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray. Alien, I've owned on VHS, DVD... Ah, yeah, okay. Alien, I've owned on VHS, DVD. Um, DVD in the... Uh, like, the, the original DVD, and then the DVD that was in the Alien Anthology. Then I owned it on Blu-ray. No, the Alien Quadrilogy, sorry. Then I owned the Blu-ray in the Alien Anthology, and now I own the Blu-ray in the Prometheus to Alien set. So that's five. So that's actually probably it. Cool. Right. Uh, from James McDonald. Uh, says what film has the most influential opening title sequences uh, seven is my pick so many copycats these days um, what was his pick sorry seven hmm. that was very influential in the 90s for sure yeah there was a lot of there was a lot of that um, oh that's a tough question that um I don't know. I, I think it's hard to go past kind of like the Bond-esque ones. 
I was thinking Bond, yeah, but just know, because there's so many of them, but then it's because they're all Bond films. But then I think, you know, the, you also had um, a few of the, I, I think, I'm pretty sure, a couple of the Altman ones had kind of Bond-esque um, title cards. And then you've got sort of Spielberg started doing kind of like almost, you know, really elaborate ones. Uh, like Catch Me If You Can was a very elaborate you know, and felt a little bit bondy in its in its execution. The title cards for that, and you seem to get a few that would happen like that. Um, a lot of like comedy vehicles now tend to be kind of people going somewhere. The, the credits all run as people are travelling somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, there's there's a lot of that in comedy. But yes, yeah, seven I think is a fucking is a very strong shout to be honest. Yeah, defo. I mean, Christ, you even seeing that as, um, I mean, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, um, you know, it was like 15 years after Seven, and it still looked pretty much exactly the fucking same. You know, um... I'd, I'd like to see more credits like the credits for Enter the Void. <laughs> that happens, that's one of the greatest credit sequences I've ever seen. That is an <laughs> epileptic fit of credit sequences. Yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty fucking amazing, actually, by the way. Um, very cinematic Tom from Twitter uh, says I've only just gone HD in the last few weeks which three films are the biggest improvement on Blu-ray from standard depth oh fuck me sideways that is a question um, well I just mentioned it a second ago at Blade Runner Blade Runner looks fucking wonderful um Alien Alien look, look very looks high. fucking in, insane on, on Blu-ray, that looks like a brand new film. I, I, um, you know the worst thing is, I'm not sat in my living room, so I can't have a look at my, at my Blu-ray. I'm looking at my Blu-rays right now. Um, Purple Rain. Fair play. Purple I Rain seen looks that fucking movie. wonderful on Blu-ray. You haven't seen Purple Rain sober on Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good point. Um, <laughs> I, I watched it with you twice. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, fucking right. Um, Pulp Fiction looks amazing on Blu-ray. It looks good. it looks good on DVD, but it looks amazing on Blu-ray. Um, I, I, I'll say this: uh, the Big Trouble in Little China I got off you looks fucking wonderful on Blu-ray. Yeah, that's a good shout. Um, I don't know because like a lot of the ones I've got in my collection I've never seen on DVD. Um, the Shining actually, um, like the original like DVD of that with like the white the white case and the snapper case up to the blu-ray now that's that's quite a quite 2001 a also looks wonderful on blu-ray it's yeah. more i i'd say it's what what is worth upgrading to blu-ray for uh, i think it, it is a better way to tackle this kind of question um so i mean stuff like blade runner alien um they're definitely worth it um I'll be honest, you know, picking up stuff like the Rocky um, films, the Rambo films, you can pick them up for pretty cheap on um, on Blu-ray for box sets, and they're well worth it. Um, all the Tarantino ones, the Blu-ray transfers are pretty fucking solid. Um, I'd say those are oh, um, Suspiria. Good shout too, actually. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The picture is, is is definitely better, but the sound is incredible on mm. Blu-ray. Um, I mean, I, I I have turned my TV down to about four on that because it's just so fucking booming. Um, 
So yeah, so that. What I'd say is um, often it, 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 it's catalogue titles are the ones to, ones to avoid. Uh, Stand By Me looks fucking great on Blu-ray. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a very good upgrade. Um, so any of those, really. Um, Steve Dixon, the great SD, uh, says, after seeing Stephen Merchant underused in I Give It A Year, which character in a movie would you like to have seen more of? Character in a movie would I like to have seen more of? Mm. I'd like to have seen Short Round come back. Yeah, I'd like to get his own spin off. Yeah, that they hit. That the Amazing Adventures of Short Round. That would have been solid. That would have been fucking solid. Um, Alfred Molina's character in Boogie Nights. Yes! Oh, very much underused, yeah. Um, Give him a fucking spin-off. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Uh, I don't think... Um, oh, fuck. Nope, it's gone. I went in my brain, then it's gone. Um, there's, there's a lot, you know, there's, there's a lot of sort of characters out there that you think, do you know what, I, I, I just, I'd watch a movie just about that guy. Um, yeah. Going back, I mean, Dazed and Confused, I would watch a movie, um, I would watch a movie just about Matthew McConaughey's character in that. Um, just just like the adventures of that guy. Uh, I thought he was, he, he was a little bit underused in that. Um, I don't know, that's a fucking tough one. I think we've come up with a few, though. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm going to come back to that one, though. Um, also, okay. um, based on what I've seen of Stephen Merchant as an actor, I, don't, I, I think the only way you could underuse him um, is if you just kind of said, hello. Uh, I, I, I just don't get it with him at all. I think he's appalling. But again, I haven't seen it. I'd give it a year. He might be the only decent thing in that. I know... Um, Stuart, uh, Max went on Twitter, just despised that. I fucking hated like, yeah, I mean, it, he, didn't he? He uh... literally, he, he, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if, um, if he stood outside the premiere with a plaque saying, fuck you, to that film. Um, Norm, as the question saying, marry, fuck, kill, <laughs> to Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, Martin Short, go. Marry, Fuck, kill, Chevy Chase, Steve Martin, or who? Martin, Martin Shaw. Shaw. Yeah, basically the three amigos. Um, Fuck, Chevy Chase. Yep, I agree with that. Steve Martin. Yep, I agree kill with that. Martin Shaw. Without question. Um, the reason being is Martin Shaw is an annoying little prick. Um, I, I, he, he, he's not funny, but he seems to think he is. Steve Martin is just simply wonderful and quite handsome. Um, and he's he's brilliantly funny and very intelligent. And Chevy Chase would be a fantastic lay. Chevy Chase would be a great lay, and I, I genuinely think Chevy Chase is one of the greatest comedians of all time. But the main problem is he knows he is, and he's a gigantic prick, and just seems to be like, like he knows how funny he is. He knows how brilliant he is. So, fuck you, I'll do it when I want to do it, and when I don't want to do it, I won't. And he's a bit like that. But when, when Chevy Chase is on form, there are few that are as good as he is. Yeah, 
Um, the Christmas Vacation, for me, is one of the greatest comedy performances of all time. You know, he's absolutely cocaine-fueled flawless in that film. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that is that is it for our, our, our Twitter questions. Uh, so that is it for this episode. I'll, I'll let you wrap up because you're, you're steering the ship on this one, buddy. Okie dokie, yeah, absolutely. So, um, sorry, I was just, um, Shiv just tweeted something saying, like, she can see the baby kicking and it's like that woman in Species, which I thought was quite funny. Um, <laughs> so uh, that's it for episode 11 of uh, Dude and a Monkey. Um, hope you enjoyed it, folks. Uh, it was a split recording today i wonder if you can tell where the join was that would be an interesting game to play um yeah uh at dude and a monkey at ian loring at dude foz and dude and a monkey at gmail.com for any feedback and as mark said at the start of the show itunes reviews are very much appreciated um we will be back next week with our review of uh bruce willis running around and probably making jokes about getting old in uh, a good day to die hard yeah um which, uh, along, which, sorry, is getting, which is already getting very bad reviews, and we still don't even know what certificate it is. <laughs> yeah, that's fucked up. I'm that's... assuming it's going to be a 15, because it's an R in the US, but we'll see. Oh, is it? Is it an R in the US? Oh, it must be a 15, then. Yeah, so um, we'll, 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 we'll see how it goes. Um, directed by Joel... The, uh, jo- sorry, um, uh, Joe, Joe the, uh, the Omen remake, More. So uh, that's going to be good, isn't it? Yeah, um, and also in the trailer there is an appalling bit of CGI. Is that when they're like falling down the? Yes, it is indeed. Yeah, 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 that is brutal. Yeah, so yeah, that's and, it. How that goes? And have you seen uh, Die Hard Six? Has already been greenlit. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. sure we'll discuss that more next week. Yeah, I, I we'll, really we'll hope s- we're pleasantly surprised. Yeah, so do I, man. I mean, that's the thing. I'm going to be going in with like pretty much bottom barrel expectations. So if uh, I, if I laugh see. a little bit, I'll be happy. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's fair. Um, so yeah, I think that is it. Let's uh, get the fuck out of Dodge. Um, say goodbye to the nice folks, Mark. See y'all later. Bye. Bye.